a very warm welcome to Camelot Castle. And tonight, we are absolutely honoured mm -hmm. to be joined by Dr. Stephen Greer uh, from Washington, D.C. Dr. Greer is, without question, uh, one of the most evolved minds that I've ever had the opportunity to get into communication mm -hmm. with. Uh, he is a truly enlightened being, and he is somebody whose truth deserves to be told because uh, he has invested literally years of work uh, telling the story of uh, extraterrestrial races and uh, unexplained, so far, UFO phenomena. Um, just to give you a brief insight into him, I'm just going to play a short clip, which is a trailer for his recent film, which I know many of you have seen. Um, but I'm just going to play it just as a quick recap, just to, there's still a lot of people joining. What I would ask all of you to do, we've got a lot of people on the feed, but share this feed. And also what I'd like you to do is start watch parties now. Uh, start a watch party and get those people on the feed and then also tag your friends in the feed. So uh, we've got some extraordinary people already online. I recognize a few of your names. Welcome to you all. We've got far too many to acknowledge everybody tonight. But uh, here is just a little insight as to the work that Dr. Greer has undertaken. There's a new video this morning that some say may be proof we're not alone in the universe. A UFO in the form of a bright light is seen descending over the dome of the rock in Jerusalem. The video is said to be taken over the weekend. Uh, then suddenly the light shoots up into the sky. There you see it. Another video from a different angle uh, appears to show the light doing the same thing. You can see this thing comes down over the through the valley and then in the valley and then it turns and it turns and it comes straight. So something traveling that fast turning at that speed yeah. that low is just insane. This seems potentially like one of the biggest stories of my lifetime and I don't care if it's about UFOs or whatever you call it. Something that we don't understand is getting very close to our military aircraft and the government isn't responding adequately, and I hope you keep sounding the alarm on this. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My God. It's rotated. I think it will take congressional hearings to get to the bottom of all this. This is the next big thing that they want the public to be afraid of. Well, they fired this electromagnetic weapon. They collided. Two went down near Roswell, and one wasn't found until 1951 up in the northern New Mexico desert. Everyone wonders why this conservative Republican president named a five-star general, Eisenhower, said on his last speech to the nation as he left office, beware the military-industrial complex. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. He wasn't talking about his brethren in the military rank. No, he said a technological elite in control of it. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People don't realize that Eisenhower, on his watch, lost control of the technology transfer issue around ET 
spacecraft, they circle the wagons and cut him out. So that's where I get into the, the Majority Intelligence Committee, M-A-J-I-C, it's pronounced magic, ironically, uh, or not ironically, and that is a blend of both corporate and government programs, and I've met with a number of them uh, who, are, who are involved at that level. And they all have this agenda to want to control the world through one calamity after another, and the big one they've been planning is to host sort of an alien threat from outer space. You know, Werner Von Braun back in the 70s on his deathbed told a member of my team that there was a long-term agenda to hoax a threat from outer space so that the sort of the uber global elite who are really fascists wanted to take over the planet and unite humanity, not in love and peace or spiritual development or anything nice, but around a fearsome uh, sort of police state conditions and that they would go through a number of protocols to do that. First, there would be, uh, of course, the Cold War, which they would wind down, replace it with global terrorism and then global financial chaos. And then the big one, which is the one that they're working on most, uh, that's been very covert in these unacknowledged special access projects, is this hoaxed alien threat. All of this is basically a rest rehearsal for what's coming. And people need to wake up. Well, what can I say? And I just want to welcome, I've seen it, a number of you great friends have joined. His Grace the Duke of Marlborough is with us from Blenheim. Uh, Blenheim Palace, of course, is the birthplace of um, Sir Winston Churchill, and His Grace is uh, actually very educated uh, in relation to uh, these matters. Now, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Dr. Greer, mm -hmm. who, of course, his film, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, is, I think, let me just get bring Dr. Greer on the screen. Dr. Greer, good evening mm -hmm. to you, and a very... Good evening. Hamlock Castle. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's 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 our pleasure. Um, your film, as I understand, is now number one on um, Amazon, isn't it? Or uh, we we watched it on Amazon Prime last night. Um, yeah, it's it's on, yeah, it's on every platform, and it's been number one for about a month, about six or seven weeks. And uh, what's interesting is that you know it's it's a it's a crowdfunded documentary. This is not a big budget uh, thing. I'm, I'm an emergency room doctor, now retired from that, and, and everything we're doing is a public interest uh, uh, charity in a sense. I mean, we're just trying to do the best we can with what we have, but so we crowdfunded it, and we've had about 4,500 people contribute, and you can see what we've done at ce5film.com, but we were able to do this production in, in a year or so, and uh, it was to be released, of course, in the middle of this pandemic. But, you know, we've, we've not done all the events we'd like to do because we're prohibited from doing so, but we've been able to get it out and, and it's been received quite well. And uh, the main purpose of the documentary is to let people know what the state of this subject is, how it's being spun by the uh, mainstream, lamestream media, and then tell people what the truth of the, of the matter is, is to the best of our ability. Um, uh, you know, I 
I began briefing people like the director of the CIA and others in, in 1992 and 1993 as a young doctor. Um, so I've been in this for about 30 years and eventually left my medical career to try to fix this enormous problem. Um, I, I was warned by a number of people not to do so <laughs> because uh, they said, you know, you shouldn't waste your, your life on this. But I realized very early on that there are two big issues. One is that there's a, uh, I think the common parlance today would be the deep state, although that's not what it is. It's, it's actually unacknowledged special access projects uh, that's run amok and has lost uh, complete uh, oversight uh, from the government and Congress and the president and your parliament, et cetera. Hmm. But there's also a bigger issue, and that is we're not alone in the universe, and there are civilizations waiting for an appropriate response from humans, and it has not been forthcoming. And this is an existential crisis uh, that isn't, frankly, acknowledged by the media or, for that matter, most people in, in government. Well, um, I'm going to ask uh, our assistant, Mark, to put this up on the comments section, but you do have a website. And yes. there are three films that I would thoroughly recommend everybody to watch. One is the original one, which is The Serious Project. The other one is called Unacknowledged, which you can also find on iTunes. And my wife and I, we were in bed a week ago and we saw this film. Mm. You know, obviously, we, we, we became acquainted through Vivian Kubrick, who is Stanley Kubrick's. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Who is a wonderful person. Yeah. And um, thank you so much, Vivian, for helping put all this together. But we sat up um, in bed and literally it was four o'clock in the morning at mm. Camelot Castle. And what did sleep. you say, darling? What did you say? Well, it all made sense finally. Just you, the way that you communicated, it was so beautiful. Everything suddenly just clicked into place. And we were like, you know what? This is the missing element. Mm. And we need to do whatever we can to assist full disclosure and um, it is important and it's a very important step for the human race I believe so well, it's important for yes it's important for all of humanity but also for those uh, people who ostensibly are our leaders yes. and our leaders have been completely uh, pushed aside uh, by frankly operations that can only be described as unconstitutional and criminal, both in your country and mine and others around the world. And this is not a statement that I could not prove in court. Uh, this is what I just said can absolutely be proved in any court of law. And it was my coming of age when I discovered as a young doctor, I don't know if you can imagine being in your mid thirties as an emergency trauma doctor and being asked to brief the sitting director of the CIA only to find out that he and the president at that time, Clinton, had been denied access to being briefed on this subject, even though they knew it was real. It was the unraveling of my whole assumption about how our civilization is run, who's running it, and in, and, and in whose interests they are running it. Certainly not for we the people. Well, I mean, that was actually what I was interested to hear about, because Dr. Greer, you, you know, you, you're with friends here. Um, many of them I've told to do their homework and watch your uh, three films. Um, and I think a lot of them have. And I've been getting messages all day from people saying, I can't wait. 
Um, this is going to be fantastic and so on and so forth. So you are with friends. What I would just say is somewhat of a disclaimer. The purpose of Camelot Castle TV is to give people a chance to state their truth. Neither Arena or I are vouching legally for the statements that Dr. Greer is going to make. I would uh, certainly, uh, there are no limits on this. Um, if you accept the data that you're going to be given, that's up to you. Uh, our position in life is that every human being should think for themselves. And we have a very exactly. definition of brainwashing. We say the minute you accept somebody else's information without checking it for yourself, you either have been brainwashed or you're well on the way to becoming so. Um, exactly. So um, it, with that regard, please do... I was very interested to know the whole story. Like, what? how did it start for you? What were the origins of this from your point of view? Well, there were a, a sort of a strange confluence of events. When I was uh, a young boy, I, my uncle, my mother's uh, oldest brother, was working designing the lunar module, the machine that landed on the moon with Neil Armstrong in, in it and Buzz Aldrin. And uh, during those days in the 60s, I had a sighting of what people would call a UFO. Um, I guess I was eight or nine years of age. So this would have been 1963, 64. And uh, my twin sister and I and some friends saw it. And I immediately knew what I had seen. It was no question it was in a, a, a normal aircraft. And it didn't move in. It, it literally materialized and then dematerialized in a crystal clear blue sky, broad daylight. Uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up. And uh, I, it ignited in me an enormous interest in this subject, which continues, of course, to this day. Um, and then I learned from people uh, over some period of time who had worked in aerospace uh, projects uh, and also NASA that, in fact, we were being visited, that there was no evidence that these visitors were hostile but the whole mad matter was to quote Jack Kennedy, who, who spoke to a man on my team who was his chief steward on Air Force One uh, on his way to Berlin when he gave the I am a Berliner speech. And Kennedy said, the whole matter is out of my hands and I don't know why. OK, so when when I began to, to dig into this deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, I originally only had about a dozen uh, military intelligence corporate uh, men and a few women who had worked that project and now I have over 980 of these and we have about one a week that comes forward with knowledge and information very few of them know each other and which is interesting because I as a scientist I like to look at uh, points of corroboration that aren't corrupted <laughs> by people influencing each other so it's like creating a massive mosaic so for about 30 years now, I've been working on creating this mosaic of information and intelligence to try to figure out what's actually going on, uh, who knows what, and what is the structure of the secrecy, but why would it be kept so secret? And in fact, I have to tell you that this was the very first thing. You used to have a minister of defense named Lord Hill Norton, who was a five-star admiral that I spent some time at his cottage, as he called it, in Hampshire. And um, this was back in the 90s. And he was very keen to learn what was going on on this because as Minister of Defense and by extension in your country, uh, head of MI5, MI6, he had 
never been read into, which is the military term for briefed on the matter. And I sat in his cottage uh, and, it, and, and at this point, he's a, an older gentleman. He's out of government. He had also been the um, a military commander for uh, uh, NATO. And he said, why would they not have told me about this? And who else have you briefed that have been denied access? And I said, well, you know, the, the director of the CIA and uh, a couple of members of the Senate Intelligence Committee and this and that. He says, well, why? I said, they do a what I call a soul biopsy. Mm. <laughs> and what do I mean by this? They do an assessment to see if you would be willing to go along with secrecy is so completely illegal that you would be willing to engage in a criminal activity in order to be read into the project. If you, they think you are a, let's call them the white hats who are in military government, and there are many of them. If they think you're of that ilk who would tell the truth and not put up with this nonsense, they absolutely will never tell you. Mm. If they see that you are, are, have sociopathic tendencies, and would go along with the kind of grab of power and knowledge and information that this group is engaged in, then they'll give you a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And unfortunately, I have seen this happen right in front of me over and over again. In fact, the CIA director that I briefed, uh, Woolsey, I have a letter from the man who set up that meeting. It stated very specifically the purpose of the meeting and that he and the president had been denied access. Later, we found out he, he became chief counsel for Booz Allen Hamilton, a very large contractor for the National Security Agency and other agencies. And he pretty much threw all of us under the bus and put out a statement saying that that meeting never happened. Yes. And that that was the, and that that was not the subject. Now, I can we can prove otherwise. But what happens then is that people who don't know if they do get rid into it are offered a great many incentives to betray the public trust. Mm. And this is an appalling, frankly, like, and uh, people will probably think this unbelievable, but the head of army intelligence in 1992, May, almost exactly uh, 28 years ago, mm. personally offered me $2 billion. And that was when a billion dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> I say jokingly. Uh, right now, you know, we're mending a, a unicorn billionaire every week in Silicon Valley in China. But in 92, not so much and literally offered me that if I would betray the purpose of my work, join his organization, I refuse. And he went to my wife just, let me just and, and tried to convince her of this. So it was it was like if you take that, imagine the kind of between the threats and the inducements that happen, how easy it is to corrupt people if they get out of their, uh, shall we call it moral center um, and can be pulled in that direction. So just to put that in perspective, uh, and just because, uh, you know, you gave us a lot of data there, but just for our audience, you basically were offered $2 billion to betray yep. your project by somebody who was who, who was very high up. Who, who was it that, did, did, you, did, you, I don't, did you say who that was? was it, yeah, it was the head of Army Intelligence and some of the people he works with. Yeah. Right. Now, what... What sort of budget are these guys operating with? Well, it's certainly in the trillions. You know, Donald Rumsfeld, the day before 9-11, stated that there are 2.3 trillion, with a T, 
dollars unaccounted for in the Department of Defense budget. Uh, it's certainly more than that now. That was almost 20 years ago, of course, 19. And we estimate it's, it's certainly in the $8 trillion plus dollars that have been absolutely misappropriated. Um, you know, much of it goes into WFO, work for other projects through contractors. Like my uncle's company was Northrop Grumman. And uh, uh, the Lockheed Skunk Works uh, also received, has received a lot. Uh, they're very clandestine operations. And the nature of an unacknowledged special access project, which I think we need to, to define a little bit here for, for some of your viewers who are new to this, uh, the word deep state just means people who are sort of in the permanent bureaucracy and secret programs. I would say of the people operating what folks would, would term deep state, uh, less than one or two percent of them would have any knowledge of the subject. And that's because of the nature of a, a top secret special compartmented information where it's highly compartmented and you can have somebody who can spend their entire life in a project that's very classified and have no knowledge of this subject. I'll give you an example. Uh, two years ago this month, a man who worked in the technology management office, the TMO of the Pentagon uh, here in Washington, uh, outside Washington, approached me and he had been a career military officer who retired. He was then recruited by the technology management office in the sub-basement of the Pentagon to work on the extraterrestrial and UFO issue. Now, he had spent his entire career and had never heard of a USAT, an unacknowledged special access project. And the, 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 the point I'm making here is that you can be the president of the United States or the director of the CIA or the head of intelligence joint staff or the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is like the CIA within the Pentagon, and all of whom are people that I have provided briefings for or met with personally face-to-face, -face, and be denied access to this information. Now, to the average person, I even think to the extraordinary person listening who may have spent their life in government, this is a shocking, however true, statement. And this is the fulfillment of what uh, Ike uh, Eisenhower warned us about in the clip you opened with where he warned about the military industrial complex and the scientific elite. He was not referring to the rank and file of the military. He was referring to these um, operations, which frankly, he, you know, he was after World War II, he was tired. Mm. I, I can relate. And he, he was, he trusted people who betrayed him. And so between 19, 55 and 1960, the presidency was moved out of operational control over these unacknowledged special access projects, dealing specifically with the UFO subject. And the same thing happened in your country. This is why your Minister of Defense, Lord Hill Norton, yes, was, uh, was because, uh, because you 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 were you had a meeting with the ex UK Minister of Defense. Could you? Yes, he had been retired when I met with him. Yes. Yes. And what, what happened there? Well, he was not happy because he had heard that I had provided this briefing for uh, the president mm -hmm. and that he, he had always had an interest in this. Uh, he had studied the subject after he left the Ministry of Defense and realized that he had never been read into something that he most certainly should have been. And frankly, he was furious. Uh, he was 
when I say hopping mad, I mean, anyone who had ever met him, he was a wonderful, uh, interesting character, you know, piercing blue eyes, small, uh, diminutive. And he was just, he was furious. And I said, look, he said, well, you know, you were in the, a very good club. The reason they didn't brief you is because they knew that you were a stand-up guy who would have been in defense of your country and the betterment of humanity, and you wouldn't have stood for it. Mm. And that's what, why they didn't tell you. What was his, what was his name again? What was Lord it? Hill Norton. Lord Hill Norton. Yeah, he was your minister. He was a five-star admiral. They used to call him a sea lord. And um, I have a lovely letter from him, and, um, uh, and, and so this is what happened. And, and this is... Um, Multiple countries, you know, I, many people may remember uh, a senator named, named Barry Goldwater who ran for president in 1964. And, you know, I was at his home before he passed away. This was back in the 90s. And John McCain had taken his seat uh, in, in Arizona. That's right. And, you know, and, and Senator Goldwater had an interest in this very profoundly. And uh, I'm sitting in his living room and he relates to me a, st a story that I think people need to listen to extremely carefully. Hmm. Now, here was a senior Republican senator. You know, I, I don't care anything about partisan politics, frankly. You know, I can work with anyone on any side of the aisle on this because the truth is the truth is the truth. doesn't matter. But this man had extremely high bona fides for military intelligence, ran for president, sort of uh, iconic conservative Republican and he knew a man named Curtis LeMay. And General LeMay was the uh, head of the chief of the airport, staff Air Force. And uh, Goldwater had heard through channels and just sort of uh, stories about the uh, UFOs and the extraterrestrial vehicles that we had acquired. And he uh, also had heard that there was a facility uh, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, that had some of the early materiel that had uh, been retrieved in the 40s and 50s, which is true. Um, so he asked General uh, Curtis LeMay if he could be uh, briefed on that, and Curtis LeMay turned to him and said, and excuse my language, God damn it, Barry, I can't even get into that area at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base anymore. And if you ever ask me about this again, I will personally see that you are court-martialed out of the Air Force Reserves. Wow. Now, this is from Barry Goldwater's lips to my ears, and I have a witness to this. So he said, who in God's name is running this? So that General LeMay, uh, the Air Force general, was at that point also not being allowed to know about current operations. So your listeners at this point, if the red flags of red alert flags aren't going up, they should be, mm -hmm. because what I'm describing, and this is not from internet rubbish, this is from meetings I've had personally with people like this over a 30-year period, is that there are activities going on that routinely senior military, government, presidents, uh, secretaries of defense, etc or denied access to. Many of you may know who Gordon uh, Cooper was. He was one of the early Mercury astronauts, a great hero. Uh, I got to know him and Colonel Cooper 
and I did a briefing for a group here in Washington called the Federalist Society, which is a, a sort of constitutional group uh, that, uh, and, and this was some years ago, and we were both being asked to, to do a presentation on the UFO issue. Hmm. And the reason astronaut Cooper was asked to do this is that he was uh, commanding a unit at Edwards Air Force Base in 1956 when one of these UFOs in broad daylight descended and landed out on a dry lake bed. And he sent a team out there uh, to film it, and they did. He looked at the footage of the film and saw this craft on it, and he was ordered to put it on a general's plane and fly it back to Washington. So the Secretary of Defense, Bill Cohen, for Bill Clinton had heard of this because we had started putting some of this information out in briefing documents uh, well, like this one I have here that was the one we created for uh, President Obama in 2009. And what, what we found out, you know, was that, and Gordon Cooper told me this personally, the Secretary of Defense had asked him and said, please give me all the actionable intelligence, all the details about this event. So Gordon Cooper did. I mean, this is a request from the Secretary of Defense of the United States. And the Secretary of Defense got back to him and said, this entire case has vanished into the black pit of Calcutta. We can't find it anywhere. It's vanished. And I told Gordon, it's in an unacknowledged special access project that is that the Secretary of Defense is being denied access to. So I think one of the, the problems, and this is something I'm extremely concerned about, both your country, mine, and others, is that the people who are making very important decisions on behalf of humanity, their country, who are patriots, are you know, basically be, being given a fraction of the intelligence and information they need to have to do their jobs properly. And that includes the current president, but I'm not singling him out. This is true of every president since Eisenhower. So I think this is why anyone who's concerned about the state of the world, the future of our, uh, our world, our relationship in the cosmos needs to, to work to try to resolve this problem, which uh, has really become, in my estimation, an existential crisis for humanity not just United States and Great Britain, but every man, woman, and child on the planet. Uh, because one of the things that is the central reason for the secrecy, you get a hint of from a document that's uh, in, our, uh, in the book I wrote, Unacknowledged, that goes with that documentary you referred to. And it's a document from Canada, from 1951, top secret. And it's known as the Wilbur Smith document. But anyway, this document is, was inadvertently declassified some years ago. And I, I had a conversation with the Minister of Defense of Canada about this, uh, Paul Hillier. And the Honorable Paul Hillier and I had a very funny laugh about this because when he was Minister of Defense, he was never told anything about the subject at all, just like your Minister of Defense and our Secretary of Defense here. But when this document surfaced and we found it, and this was an officially declassified document, this is, there's no question of the provenance of this document, but it's dated 1951 and it states flying saucers are real. They called them that back then. 
uh, number two, a very high level group headed up by Dr. Vannevar Bush, who headed up the Manhattan Project to make the atomic bomb, is looking into this and is studying it scientifically with a group of elite scientists. And number three, they're studying the modus operandi, the energy and propulsion systems of these UFOs. And finally, and this is the kicker, this is the, this is, uh, the pièce de résistance, is that they stated that the matter is the most classified secret in the United States, exceeding, I'm quoting, the development of the hydrogen bomb, the ultimate doomsday weapon. Now remember, the hydrogen bomb was detonated in 1952. This was 1951. So this is, yeah, I tell people, don't take my word for it. I'm just a country doctor from Virginia now. But do take these sort of facts seriously, because as, as, as one senator, one, you know. So what yes. is in 1951, 51. 1951, the what was already known about UFOs and extraterrestrials and their technology was considered to be a greater secret than the development of the hydrogen bomb. Correct. Now, remember, by 19, October 1954, we mastered what uh, is called gravity control. Hmm. So we have not needed a rocket or a jet aircraft since October of 1954. Now, how do I know this? I have a man on my team who is the senior scientist at the Naval Research Labs here in Washington. Um, he was number three down from the top, from the director. And he was on my team for about 15 years. He's unfortunately passed away of, of cancer not too long ago, so I can share his name. And his name was uh, Richard Foch, Rick Foch, F-O-C-H. And he was allowed, he was in the vault which a classified vault and saw the documents that flat out stated that we had achieved gravity control, the physics of causing something to become essentially weightless and move at all kinds of strange ways like a UFO does in October of 1954. Right. Now that was, you know, I was not even a twinkle in my father's eye at that point, And I'm no spring chicken. I mean, I'll be 65 next month. So the point I make, to people is uh, we have decades of lost evolution and science and development where in those intervening 65 to 70 years, we could have eliminated all pollution, all poverty, and all the things that are these existential crises facing us. And the technologies that are behind how these crap operate also, I'm speaking now with the, my doctor hat on, have extraordinary medical applications that would completely transform the medical system, including, I might add, since we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, the, the viruses, such as the coronavirus. But well, I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but the well, point I, is that the technological things we have that have been kept secret are really destroying our planet. The secrecy that is this extreme has become a threat to the human existence. So, so I, in fact, in the film that we watched last night, there was an amazing testimonial by a man who was an elderly man who'd obviously clearly been wearing hearing aids mm. his whole life. 
Yes. And according to him, he ran into uh, an ET, and uh, this ET was a type of a medical healer. And the yes. question that this man's hearing was completely resolved as a result of a oh. five-minute interaction. Uh, you were probably there. And I, I was there when that happened, by the way. I was right, almost right beside him. Oh, really? Because that doesn't come over in the film. It, 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 yes. it, it, it gives the idea that he was there on his own with the... No, no, with, later. But later. You were with no, him let, at let, the time or what? How did that... Did I was at the time, yes. And uh, when you see the photograph of that interstellar uh, extraterrestrial that appeared in the photograph, that E.T. was one person to my right passed. Yeah. So there was me, a medical student beside me, and the E.T., and then the gentleman who had that experience. And uh, the person who took the photograph is a very well-known screenwriter named David Marconi. Hmm. He ironically wrote Enemy of the State with Will Smith uh, about the National Security Agency and all this. So he's on our team, and, and he was the one. He's very good with cameras. Uh, we heard this ET. We had a, a number of objects in the sky, and then we heard something moving behind us. We were in a circle of about 25 people out in Arizona, up on a mountain about 5,000 feet up. And uh, suddenly we heard this ET moving, but it was kind of sort of coming in and out of this dimension, hmm. which we can get into in a moment if you want to talk about what oh, technologies. In no hurry. We're moving. By the way, just so you know, Dr. Greer, our audience is absolutely loving this. You can't see the comments because of the systems that we use, <laughs> but they are absolutely adoring this. And please do share this, create watch parties, get this information. You know, my whole life, yep. you know, in America, we came across a cure for depression. We came across a cure for drug addiction. We have seen how these things get suppressed by people that want to profit. Oh, yeah. We call them the merchants of chaos. They mm. profit from other people's chaos. But what Correct. you're talking about is actual verifiable technology mm. that could be curing people's hearing, that could be saving lives. And um, so please do, you know, please do communicate. Tell because us. Please do tell please, us. I think, I think your message, I am so honored that you are here at the birthplace of King Arthur, mm. albeit uh, virtually, For but now. let's say... Let's assume you're here because you're a pretty telepathic guy. Uh, and let's just assume that you are here. And it's just our pleasure to welcome you here. You know, King Arthur put the round table together, you know, and we yeah. sit here on the St. Michael line, which is a line of pure truth that goes from Glastonbury, uh, well, through Stonehenge, through Glastonbury, and then arrives here in the Infinity Salon at Camelot Castle. Yeah. So. Uh, and this building here was placed here for very, very specific reasons, which have to do with really sacred geometry, mm. which is another subject. But it is such an honor for you to speak your truth here. And the, the audience oh, is absolutely loving this. Loving this. They are spellbound. We've already hit a record on viewers. Um, you know, this is... Uh, our humble effort to get the truth for the world, but you, you, you'll see the feedback later, but please continue, please continue. Well, one of the beautiful things about this event that happened with this uh, uh, older gentleman is that he wasn't there for any 
selfish reason. He was there as a member of a Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind team. And we kind of sort of consider ourselves citizen ambassadors mm -hmm. to the cosmos, to these civilizations, because our State Department, your foreign ministry, none, no one's handling this properly. So uh, we're just doing it the best we can as, as sort of an unfunded group of volunteers. But uh, what, what happened was that once this event occurred and this ET appeared beside him, he continued a relationship that night with the ET that we have on the photograph you see in the movie. It's a documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And when you see the being, he's sort of wearing a tunic and has sort of a, a triangular-shaped head, a bit like a crane mantis. Yeah, very unusual but very highly intelligent that we estimate IQ in the range of four to 500 if the human scale went there and extraordinarily uh, spiritually advanced, both in terms of technological, you know, spiritual and technological advancement and social advancement. Now, you know, you know, the caricature of ETs are these bug eyed, scary looking things, which of course is, is sort of a CIA supported caricature. That's all fake, frankly. The actual interstellar civilizations are a great many variety. Um, and this one particular civilization are um, extremely adept healers. So as the night went on, after we broke around one in the morning, this gentleman has continued this connection with this being and he was in his room and he got a message mentally because these civilizations are using technologies that then not only their innate ability telepathically, which humans have as well, uh, but also they have technologies that augment or magnify that capability. And, uh, you know, very advanced uh, electromagnetic trans-dimensional physics, we call it. We can get into this if we have time. But what was fascinating is that he went out and here this object, this red object that was partially in this dimension connected with him and he was having this beautiful connection in a pure hearted way, just to be a point of contact between humanity and these civilizations. And then parenthetically, he said, oh, and by the way, I, I can't hear anything. Would you do something? I, he hadn't had hearing properly since he was in middle school and a teenage boy. And, 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 the, he, and so he got this sense that they could. He went to sleep. He woke up the next morning, totally normal hearing after 50 years of being mostly deaf. Um, so it's quite a beautiful story, but it was an incidental event. He didn't come out there with some agenda that was selfish mm. about his own personal situation as a mostly deaf person. He was there for the correct reason. And because I think the purity of his heart and intent, this being said, okay, we will. You see, I'm, I'm trying to provide some perspective oh. in a world of filled with selfishness and and, and narcissism. Uh, these civilizations respond more to some larger purpose that they want to see people rising to. Well, I, I think that was quite interesting. Sorry, the philosophy there, but uh, no, no, oh, we, 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 we have a number of great philosophers on here. And His Grace the Duke of Marlborough has asked a very interesting question, which I'm going to get to in a moment. But you mentioned uh, a meeting when we spoke that you had with somebody from Liechtenstein who had been around this stuff his whole life. And then he said to you, but hang on, why have I not had this 
contact. And I thought that that was that speaks to the, attitude, the philosophical yeah. attitude. It does. Yeah. Well, it was the crown prince of Liechtenstein, Hans Adam von Liechtenstein, and and I was meeting with him um, in New York at the Four Seasons uh, Pier Hotel, and he was there to see Lawrence Rockefeller, and as was I, and one of the things that because you know Lawrence Rockefeller was sort of the renegade in the Rockefeller family who was setting up briefings and uh, that, that I attended out at his ranch in the Tetons and then subsequently had the, the, the president and first lady, the Clintons there, um, to provide a briefing document that, of information we had assembled that he had further refined for him. Um, but the, the prince had a very um, worrisome a view of all this that was uh, the only word I can find is that's appropriate would be an eschatological perspective, sort of an end of the world perspective. Mm. And he told me that he was uh, covertly funding the abduction and mutilation groups in the United States researchers to fund the uh, research into that, which were, of course, all fake hoaxed events. Um, so that the public would accept in blood and treasure the costs of an interplanetary war. And, uh, of course, that presumably would force the return of Christ, etc. It was was an extraordinary meeting, and I just sort of listened, uh, frankly appalled. But that's when I realized uh, what I had sensed already a couple years earlier, is that much of the things that are out in the public domain about this are actually staged events by the CIA, military intelligence, and various contractors. So everyone who looks into this subject immediately, if they Google it, will it'll come up with unimaginable amounts of disinformation on abductions and mutilations. And interestingly, we have an Air Force officer that's in our film that you, you've seen, where he says, oh, yes, we set up those abductions. He, he knows for a fact that there is an unacknowledged special access project hoaxing these things. Uh, the other thing that they're hoaxing are uh, very strange experiences with not ETs, but with what I call aliens. Yeah. Now, I probably lost everyone here, but alien is sort of a catch all phrase for everything people don't understand. Uh, I am speaking of extraterrestrial biological entities, evens, that are from other planetary star systems. A great many of the things that people experience are not ETs, but are strange uh, and sometimes disturbing phenomenon from other dimensions, which get conflated. Why? Here's this is very critical for everyone who wants to know the truth about this to hear this. I'm going to articulate as carefully as I can. If you are going from a star system, say in the Andromeda galaxy, you know, one of the beings that's in this documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, is from Andromeda. Um, and he yes. told us this. And the photo is quite interesting. It was mm-hmm. taken at Joshua Tree National Park a few years ago. And if you're going to even communicate from that galaxy to here, it's two and a half million light years to go to Andromeda. Now that's at 186,000 miles every second. It would take a year for one light year. Two and a half million light years would take at the speed of light, which is what you and I are using here. It would take two and a half million years to say, 
hello, how are you doing? If you're on earth communicating to Andromeda and another two and a half million for them to say, oh, I'm doing fine today. How are you? That just took five million years. This is why we know any scientist with an IQ greater than mud, quite frankly, would have to know that we are not dealing with civilizations that are using linear systems that are going at or less than the speed of light. So then what are we dealing with? We're dealing with technologies and civilizations that where their entire operating system, let's call it, and paradigm is beyond the speed of light. And when you cross the speed of light, you cannot help but, you cannot avoid these other dimensions. So you are crossing through, and the mystics used to call it the astral. So like when you have an out-of-body experience or a lucid dream of the future, that is with your, your body of light and your conscious being seeing the future or seeing a distant place. Th those civilizations that are interstellar have mastered the ability to traverse those dimensions, but that's not where they are originating from. They're originating from another star system. The reason it's confusing is that when, when they're not 3D materialized, they can appear in ways that look very interdimensional, which is why they get conflated and confused with beings that are centered in other dimensions. And as Monsignor Balducci at the Vatican said to me, he was the chief theologian for Pope John Paul, and I was at the Vatican meeting, and he said, uh, extraterrestrials do not, uh, are, are different because neither angels nor demons require flying saucers. And he giggled. I said, touche, you're quite correct. So the, the, the massive confusion, I call it cosmological indigestion that's happened is that people have conflated extraterrestrial with everything they call alien, which are actually a number of phenomena that get commingled. Now, that has been done deliberately. I'm going to tell you something here that's a little disturbing. The intelligence community is very happy for people to confuse those two things because the confusion is intrinsically obfuscating. It hides the truth. And that's the name of the game in counterintelligence. Well, absolutely. So, uh, um, all right. So this, this is what this gets into some very complex issues of how counterintelligence works. But also, you must not make any assumptions uh, based on what you can Google about what the intelligence community has in these unacknowledged special access projects to hoax events that look alien, mm. which people think are extraterrestrial, but are not. They have extraordinary technologies that have been developed since the 40s, 50s, 60s that can simulate an ET event. And it's 100 percent man-made and it's done as a false flag. The proper turn, any, anyone who's military listening knows that it's a deceptive INW or deceptive indication and warning, which is the proper term for a false flag uh, military or intelligence operation. Well, I mean, this is incredible, Dr. The first thing you've said, I, I have always felt, and I know that His Grace the Duke of Marlborough has felt the same way, is that E equals MC squared, uh, or this idea that human beings can't travel faster than the speed of light, uh, is one of the most ridiculous straitjackets that's ever been placed on humanity because it limits us mm -hmm. to really uh, not reaching other planets with life. 
And the other thing, of course, is that thought uh, is the one thing that does travel much faster than the speed of light and uh, many times faster than the speed of light. And that's always been our uh, understanding of thought and of the creators of thought. Uh, right. Of course, is the, the human spirit. Um, so um, this is absolutely fascinating now one thing is grace did raise and i think it is an interesting point to raise so i think it's a good point to ask this question it seems sure. the ets um and other civilizations do have concern about mankind's use of nuclear material or nuclear weapons and the and the split of the atom when the when the atom was initially split there was a surge in activity um from my reality um, I think planets come up through the nuclear age. Um, and a lot of times, to my understanding, um, you know, planets do fall foul of idiots pushing the wrong button at the, one, at the wrong time. Um, so yeah. I can fully understand that. Have you, have you run into that at all? Is that something that, that you... Oh, yeah. Yes, um, there's a, a member of my team, uh, Colonel Diedrichson, who uh, is a retired Air Force, but he was head of the uh, uh, supervision of all atomic uh, facilities, both weapons storage areas as well as um, missile silos. And he, this was back in the 60s before it was the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, it was the old AEC, um, Atomic Energy Commission. And he stated that every single nuclear facility in the United States, and he had learned in Russia and UK and elsewhere, had been surveyed by these extraterrestrial vehicles because they're very concerned that two things. One, the misuse of those technologies could in fact result in the extinction of life on Earth, which apparently they have some long-term interest in preserving. And number two, those weapon systems being put out into space would be a threat to other civilizations. For example, mm. um, he was privy to the fact that we had launched a uh, intercontinental ballistic missile that had been modified to strike the moon where there was an extraterrestrial facility. Um, and as it went exo-atmosphere outside the atmosphere, it was intercepted and neutralized by the ETs. Now, that sounds like an extraordinary statement, except I have it on his record. I have both the videotape and transcript of his testimony prior to his death. It's in our Disclosure Project materials. And uh, on my website, SeriousDisclosure.com, there's an old book that came out in 2001 called Disclosure that has the testimony of uh, maybe a hundred of these sort of gentlemen uh, who have been in these projects. It's available to anyone who can read. But as well as the documents they proffered and gave us. Now, there's something else that I don't talk about often, but since, since His Grace brought this up, uh, let me be frank. When you detonate a nuclear weapon, we know that there's something called an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse. What is not talked about publicly is that that EMP has a resonant effect that goes transdimensional that is highly disruptive to those other realms. Mm. And that's why when we started detonating atomic weapons, uh, there were all these ET crafts seen all over, including 
the famous Roswell event, which is a bit cliche. However, it happened. And the reason it did is that the only nuclear bomber squadron in the world in 1947 at that time was in Roswell, New Mexico. And the reason those objects crashed is because, and I have an FBI document that's also on our website that is, has, we leaked it. It's a, a memo from a field agent to J. Edgar Hoover of uh, dated 1947 where he reported that we had a new, quote, radar system. Now, this is euphemism. Anyone in the military knows this. Radar system means also piggyback electronic warfare systems at the side of the radar. And they had a new one they switched on when these three ET craft came in, fully materialized, 3D. It caused their navigation and propulsion systems to malfunction, so they collided and were disabled. And so two went down near Roswell. The third one went down up near further northwest in, in the New Mexico desert and wasn't found until 1951. But the point I'm making is that that was a deliberate targeting and downing of an interstellar reconnaissance vehicles, which is extremely dangerous game being played. One of the things I point out to people, um, some years ago, I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base meeting with a colonel who was involved with this subject there where some of the original Roswell materials were sent. And I had my military advisor with me and a member, a retired member of the U.S. State Department who was also an intelligence official. And, uh, you know, the man said, well, what if these civilizations are hostile? I said, with all due respect, given the galactically stupid things we have been doing, if they were hostile, it would all be over. It would be point, set, match, done. Because you're dealing with civilizations that are 10 to the 6th to 10 to the 9th, 100,000 to several hundred million years technologically more developed than we are. And if they wanted to shut down our civilization, they would have done so when we detonated the first atomic bomb at the Trinity site in White Sands, New Mexico. So I said... The issue is being mis, the whole issue is being framed improperly. It isn't, are we facing a threat? Unfortunately, because we've continued to be a warlike civilization doing all kinds of reckless things with extraordinarily destructive weapons, we're viewed by them as a threat. It's the other way around. So I think that, you know, of course, humans being so narcissistic, we have a hard time looking through the eyes of someone else's position. But I think we better learn to do so very quickly because this matter is being escalated. I have, it on, uh, have known that since 1965, we have put on satellites up in space electronic warfare systems that have tracked and targeted these interstellar vehicles. This is why you hear about all the different ET craft that have been, that have crashed. Well, they don't go through interstellar distances and can't navigate an electrical storm in New Mexico. These are being deliberately downed by a cabal of sociopaths that are playing with unimaginably dangerous policies that neither the president nor your prime minister are under control of. And it's one of my biggest, the thing that keeps me up at night. I mean, I have to tell you, um, I, this is a rather informal setting, but a few years ago I had to brief the, um, 
the head of our uh, defense intelligence agency, General Patrick Hughes, a three-star. And he had been provided information from my team prior to my meeting. And he started making inquiries. And he was basically ridiculed. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the briefing at the Pentagon, he went over to his bookcase and took a little, like a, a toy doll of an ET, sort of a joke. And he furiously held it up and said, this is all I have received through channels for my inquiries into this subject. Now, the reason I was having the meeting, John, is because he had found out these projects were operational. They were not telling him what they were doing. And he had also learned that they were using very advanced weapons to target these interstellar vehicles. And he knew that that was an existential threat to peace on Earth and actually to the human existence. And, uh, the, you know, the problem with this is that uh, have there been other people in his position who knew about this? Yes. But those were people who went along with the secrecy. He was a white hat. Mm -hmm. So I call them the white hats who are in government, military, what have you. If they don't think you're going to go along with a completely sociopathic approach of uh, domination and secrecy, they won't tell you. This is what I told Lord Hill Norton. And, and this ultimately is the problem with the bubble that is around the president, mm. uh, not just this president. I mean, the presidency is that it's pretty much a hermetically sealed system once you step into that position and you are surrounded by people who are there ostensibly to brief you, but often they're there to deceive you and to give you partial information that's designed to manipulate you in the correct direction. Uh, let me give you an example, and this is a bit personal, but there's a Republican National Committee, uh, I mean, delegate who was at the uh, convention for uh, this last election for uh, Trump. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump had gotten nominated, you know, in, in the summer, and this was in September, and he asked me to put a briefing together that he could hand to the, you know, nominee. So I did. And that was in September 2016. And it was placed directly in President Trump's hands. However, in less than 24 hours, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency that I had briefed, R. James Woolsey, had been moved into position to be Donald Trump's national, senior national security advisor. And his job was really to whisper in his ear and say, this is all rubbish, please ignore it. Now, this, this, this is an enormous vulnerability for the president. I mean, there, there are men and women, just like you and me, who, uh, well, we have a woman in our country, who are vulnerable to those who are around them and that get moved into place to provide partial information, but a great deal of deliberate disinformation. And I don't know of a president since Eisenhower that hasn't been a victim of this. And this is why this level of secrecy that is unconstitutional and criminal is so dangerous to my country, your country, and to, to humanity. Well, Dr. Greer, I have a question for you. What is the position of the Russian president on this situation, on the issue? What's the position of the Russian president on the issue? I have not briefed him directly. I have people who know him, uh, who have reached out to a member of my team that I, I cannot name. Uh, and so I routinely will do um, 
put out information at the request of those folks. Uh, and uh, I don't pretend to know to what extent President Putin has been read into the projects that are going on in Russia. Uh, we do know that over the last 60 years, there has been a great many reports uh, about UFOs, uh, ET craft landing, etc. And uh, in fact, when the Soviet Union dissolved, uh, the KGB released an enormous number of files that I have, most of them, of course, in Russian. A few of them have been translated for me. I, I do not read or understand Russian. But uh, what we do know, it's been a subject of some intense study. To what extent this uh, unacknowledged system is under the review and control of President Putin, I do not know. I will say that when you hear the term unacknowledged special access project, there are corollaries to it in Great Britain, Russia, China. And I, this is why I tell people the organization is transnational. What do I mean by that? It means it's not international. International would be like our State Department, your uh, foreign ministry, what have you. Um, that is, is the conventional political and geopolitical existence on highly classified subjects. Even during the darkest days of the Cold War, there was absolute communication woven together between the Soviet Union, United States, China at that deep level. So I think this is another a problem that people have taken, you know, they go to their, their college and high school and they learn a civics lesson. And it's, it's an operational true statement uh, of how government works at that level. What's being left out is the existence of these unacknowledged special access projects that transcend uh, countries' boundaries and also view themselves as quite above and beyond the law of your country and mine, and also international treaties. They completely disregard international treaties. Well, yes, His Grace has just made a point. It's on a need-to-know basis. And, um, you know, the, 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 the people that are running these special access projects do not believe that the President of the United States needs to know. And I think that is um, terrible, really. Um, well, it, it's illegal and unconstitutional, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And this is what Eisenhower warned about. And his grace is right. But there isn't there. There is a legitimate. Let me let me make a distinction here. There is a legitimate level of classification and top secret operations that are need to know. Uh, the unacknowledged special access projects are in a class unto themselves because what that means is let, let, let me be very specific about how these operate so we don't have any confusion mm -hmm. a, a man on my who's been on my team for many years was um in one of these usaps um he was a navy guy and the project was so it was about a three billion dollar unacknowledged special access project in the united states now there was a man who was in charge of it turned to the, to the people who were working that project and said, you are in an unacknowledged project and nobody outside of this room can know about it. And it doesn't matter if it's your commander in chief or your supervising general or the commander in chief Atlantic command, whoever it is, you are not to know 
let anyone know about it. They then went into a skiff, a secure communication information facility uh, deep underground. Everyone had their weapons and electronics taken away except for one man, a security officer. And he went and he had a gun and they went down and he took the clip out and took a bullet out and said, if any of you tell anyone about what we're doing in this unacknowledged special access project, this bullet will find you no matter where you are. And I am not making this up. So I have actually worked with dozens of people who have been in these unacknowledged special access projects. The fact that they are providing the extent and detail of information they have is, is heroic. The man who surfaced from the Pentagon two years ago, who gave me all manner of detailed information about where the current bases are and what we're doing on the study of extraterrestrial technologies and their so-called cloaking capabilities, et cetera, and so on. I mean, he, he, he was quite frankly terrified, uh, but 100 percent legitimate. And, and, I, and th these are truly heroic people. You know, just for the record, I have never worked for the government, any government. Uh, I'm completely a civilian. Um, and I've done this just because I've concluded that it's something that somebody needs to deal with. Uh, well, but, you, you know, the people who have come forward are really heroic people who are trying to get this information to the public. Well, that's our goal to help you with. Now, I've got a question from Sasha Stone here, who uh, oh, is a friend of ours. And he said, Stephen, who exactly are the prime historical figures or institutions that have willfully sequestered breakthrough innovations and kept them from bettering our world? Oh, well, there, there's it, it goes all the way back to the 40s and 50s. I mean, uh, for example, uh, there was a billionaire named Paul Mellon, uh, who uh, he and Alan Dulles were really instrumental in founding the CIA. And uh, his grandson is on my team, by the way. Hmm. And um, he and others like him, uh, David Rockefeller, uh, Edward Teller, for example. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, not, not George W. Bush, but his father, Bush, was very much on this committee, as was Dick Cheney. Uh, I know for a fact. And, and so there are a number of people. Uh, over the years who have been involved in these operations that some people would have known their names. Uh, but in, in a sense, you know, I, I'm not that interested in the, in that. I think you, you, what you want to look at are institutions. Mm. So for example, you have something called the Lockheed uh, Martin skunk works. Now the skunk works uh, are the super secret aerospace engineering uh, programs all of you have heard of the U-2 and, and the B-2 stealth. You know, they worked on all of those. But what a lot of people don't know, uh, I have a, a letter signed by Ben Rich, the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, writing to a friend where he states very specifically that we have both man-made and extraterrestrial UFOs. Right. And it's in the handwriting of the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, dated 1986. So we're talking, you know, 34 years ago. And uh, so these institutions and large uh, corporate contractors, uh, the Bechtel Corporation has worked on the underground facilities, uh, EG&G uh, and Raytheon, which bought EG&G, have been very involved in the propulsion and energy research uh, particularly out near the Nevada test range, so-called 
Nellis Air Force Base, which mistakenly gets called Area 51. Uh, so uh, I have people who work in every one of these facilities on my team. And uh, one of the things that I've always tried to do, uh, although I know it's enormously controversial, is to provide this information to people in government if they request it. Um, we, we do it as sort of a, uh, a public service. But uh, since I have no official standing, I really have no ability to ensure that anybody receives this information. All I can do is put it together and then and put it out to the public. Uh, and hopefully it, it will osmotically eventually get to the people who need to know. Hmm. Unfortunately, I also know that those people get surrounded by professional counterintelligence people who negate the briefing. So one of the things I, I believe. That's what happened. I think that's what happened to, to President Trump early on. Well, I th one of the things I am going to ask you to do, because we do have some very interesting people watching from the very heart of D.C. tonight uh, towards the end oh. of this briefing, is um, I, I am going to ask you to do a direct message for the president, which, you know, sure. some seeds fall on stony ground and some seeds fall on good ground. You never know. Um, you never but know. Is it true? We, we'll get to that in a moment. But is it? Is it true to imagine that some of the greatest innovations of the 20th and 21st century could be attributable to extraterrestrial invention or intervention or the transfer of technology? Is, are, is the reason that we're seeing such an advance, yeah. for instance, in Silicon Valley with some of these huge companies, it, are we actually seeing? Because I think even in the last few years, the way I look at it is the acceleration of technology on this planet has really been, I know there's some very clever people out there, but it does seem to me that they've had a helping hand. That's my feeling. Have, uh, what, what is your take on that? Well, my take on it is that it's the tip of the iceberg. So in other words, you know, fiber optics, integrated circuits, a lot of the technologies that have uh, advanced in the digital age, are spinoffs from the early uh, AT&T, Murray Hill research, and a number of other companies in, in the 50s, 60s that were studying uh, extraterrestrial material. For example, uh, Colonel Corso stated in his book, um, The Day After Roswell, the kinds of material he sort of incidentally saw that had been retrieved from some of these objects, not just the one that went down in New Mexico, but others. And uh, one of them, interestingly, were things that we would now, as a doctor, I would call, well, that's a fiber optic scope, but what basically there were material that you could put a light at one end of this fiber and it transmitted it perfectly to the other end. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this material was studied. And my understanding is uh, some of the breakthroughs in integrated circuits and digital uh, fiber optics and night vision were the result of studying uh, some of these material. And of course, then human ingenuity then took it on to some application we could relate to. The big story, and this is the one everyone should listen to, is that the key technology transfer is still classified, meaning energy generation and propulsion. So if you look at our planet right now, I call this the lost century. We're a hundred years into a time when technologies that even Nikola Tesla knew about a hundred years ago 
should have been running the planet. Mm -hmm. And these have been withheld because of uh, large financial and commodity interests that have kept the world reliant unnecessarily on oil, gas, coal, nuclear power, public utilities, uh, surface roads, jets, rockets. Frankly, they're all obsolete. Now, the problem with that is the longer we go on the path of keeping those technologies secret, the more damage we are going to do to the planet. And even if you don't believe there's an issue with climate change that's man-made, the degree to which there are economic disparities that could lead to the radicalization of populations and revolutions and warfare are greatly exacerbated by these economic disparities. Now, so imagine if you had a technology where your home, your castle, and everyone's home is their castle, even my modest house in Virginia, of course. is run on, a, on something that would fit on your coffee table, pulling energy out of the so-called zero point or quantum vacuum field of energy. That's basically the baseline energy field that all of matter is fluxing in and out of in this pluripotent field. Well, those technologies exist. They have existed for decades. They have been ruthlessly suppressed. I personally know people who have been assassinated because they have come forward with these technologies and it would, of course, disrupt the whole petrodollar and uh, oil system. So we need to find a way of dealing with this. Obviously, these would be the ultimate disruptive technologies, but they would also be the ultimate transformative technologies. But the longer we go without bringing them forward, it's a little bit like Anne Rand and Atlas Shrugged. You know, you have these sort of this super state of fascistic folks who hoover up, who vacuum up all these sciences and technologies. We're left with things like these digital communication systems. But imagine if there was no more poverty in the world within 20 years because every single community would be self-sufficient with energy, clean water, etc. And you, you look at these technologies, and I have seen a couple of them, and you realize that how do you have a free market economy if the most important inventions and breakthroughs in science of the last hundred years have been classified and dropped into this black pit? I think that this anyone who uh, who wants to have a free market economy and freedom cannot go along with that level of secrecy. So what we need to do as a people is figure out how do we transition away from the current linear energy system and develop safely these other technologies that would move us on to the next level of human civilizational development to bring us to what has been called a level one civilization, a peaceful world civilization that isn't cannibalizing its planet and that is not constantly fighting over resources and boundaries uh, and become civilized. You know, I, I point out to people, one of the reasons these civilizations are, are watching and waiting, and to be very blunt, is that we are not regarded as a civilized people yet. Mm. Mm. Well, His Grace just observed that um, that he feels that there is an avid interest by the uh, extraterrestrial races in this planet. Mm. Um, 
and yes, I, 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 I tend to agree with that. Um, and sure. certainly from the film that I saw last night, which for those of you that have just joined us, Dr. Greer uh, is both the originator and the creator of this hit film. It's the number one documentary on Amazon oh, at the moment platforms. and on all platforms at the moment. It is Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Somebody could put the link in the comments so that you can all download and watch that after this. Um, I mean, probably to my mind, I mean, it is criminal, criminal. It's a crime against humanity to suppress the type of technology that really Tesla was knocking on the door of, um, you know, a very long time ago. Um, right. You know, the idea of creating zero point energy. Uh, Irina and I have actually uh, witnessed a demonstration of that here mm -hmm. at Camelot. And I can speak to the fact that that definitely works. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was the first demonstration of it in this country. Um, imagine a society where the bill for electricity... Uh, well, at Camelot Castle, frankly, we do have high energy bills, and I personally would be delighted in a zero-point energy mm. system. Um, I'm sure at Blenheim Palace... It would have zero uh, energy cost. It would be zero. Well, it would, and I'm, okay. sure, uh, I'm sure at Blenheim Palace they've got a bigger problem than we do mm. at Camelot. Mm. Um, despite all these sort of environmental chip boilers that we have and this and that. Mm. But... Um, just that alone, just being able to pull energy out of the ether um, yes. would be, would change the economic dynamics of the world. And of course, um, the idea of being able to open up uh, interstellar travel. Um, one of the things that I did uh, pick up from some of your research was the fact that the machines that the extraterrestrials use um, are almost powered by the telepathic capacity of, in other words, the, the, the being and the machine are almost at one with each other. And so without the telepathic ability of the being inside the machine, in other words, the machine itself is almost an augmentation to the capacity of the spirit inside. In other words, if the spirit themselves doesn't have telepathic ability, then the machine itself somehow loses its way of traveling. Maybe I've got that wrong, but you said that... Well, I just want to clarify. That's not quite correct. What it is no, is that... I probably have got that wrong. They are, they, they, they are bio nano machines. So what that means is... Uh, and they have AI to the artificial intelligence to a level where the craft itself is conscious. But it only functions when the pilot or the commander links to it mentally as well as bioelectrically. This is why they'll touch an object and think and it'll go someplace. Now, of course, Elon Musk is working on, with his company Neuralink, the ability to think to your computer and turn it on. He hopes by 2025 he'll have that. Here's a newsflash. <laughs> These civilizations have had it for millennia, and classified projects have also worked on developing those systems. So there's an interplay between what we would call the, 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 the field of consciousness and thought and uh, an electronic 
controlled device that is, in the case of the interstellar ET ones, is seamless. Now, that is, of course, being worked on and has been studied for decades in classified projects, and now you have people like, like Mr. Musk looking into it. But well, I, I, uh, just to speak, the, the, reason, the reason our tech, uh, you know, the whole, what a close encounter of the fifth kind is, by the way, is when humans initiate contact with these civilizations by using consciousness to remote view, see in consciousness their location, and then vector them or guide them into where you are by connecting to not only the ET's innate ability, but they have things that would kind of look like this thing here that interface with thought as clearly as, as this speaker and camera is interacting with you and me. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. When you have, uh, we have to be humble, a little humble about the fact that if you were to go back uh, down the road from my country house near Charlottesville, Virginia, is Thomas Jefferson's home, Monticello. If you were to teleport back in time and show Thomas Jefferson a smartphone, or this computer screen with you and me talking across the Atlantic, it would be regarded as magical, absolutely bonkers. Witchcraft. And in fact, you might be, you might be burned at the stake as a witch mm. for having it. So I think that when, when we start contemplating the capabilities of civilizations that are on the order of hundreds of thousands to millions of years more developed than we are, a measure of scientific humility is needed and it's it's better to observe impartially you know sort of the independent investigation of the truth rather than to enter something like this with all manner of preconceived ideas and, and i think this is the hardest thing for both scientists and government people to do because we all including myself have our biases and prejudices and it's a constant struggle to stay centered in the pursuit of truth mm. Well, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, Elon Musk um, just put out a tweet today saying, take the red pill. And Ivanka Trump tweeted, taken, mm. as a reply to that. Now, um, uh, if, you, if you had to deliver a message to Elon Musk, what would that be? Because uh, it seems to me uh, that you might be the person that actually could deliver to Elon um, a red pill that might be a bit of a delight to him. Um, what, 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 would, what, would, what would you say to him in his current situation? Well, I would recommend that he study this issue with, with, in some detail, and we can certainly get a, a very in-depth scientific brief to him, and that he develop technologies that would replace the lithium-ion batteries in, for example, his Tesla uh, vehicles. Uh, with a, a very small battery, instead of weighing a thousand pounds, uh, batteries would, would weigh less than a pound or two that is then attached to a motor generator uh, tapping into the quantum vacuum uh, energy field or zero point energy field. Now, I understand why he may not wish to do that because you know you need to do something like that in an open source way. What do I mean? One of the things that I am proposing is to start a research incubator uh, where we develop these technologies where they are streamed online as they are discovered open source without intellectual property or patent. Why? 
because if you go the intellectual property route, you will receive a section 180, 181 is what it used to be called in the patent law, which is a national security order, an NSO to seize it. So I think probably Mr. Musk knows this. I would be surprised if he doesn't. I know a number of people who, in fact, I have a member of my team who's a PhD physicist who worked for the patent office in the United States that did nothing but seize these sort of technologies and keep them secret. Uh, in fact, uh, we have a document, a report from the uh, Federation of American Scientists that stated that there are over 5,000 such technologies that have been issued national security orders and have been seized. Uh, not all of them zero point in it necessarily. They don't mention that, but even things that were highly efficient solar panels as early as 1974 were seized by national security orders. And this makes you wonder who is the government that's doing this? Who are they actually serving? The people or the big vested interests that involve uh, hundreds of trillions of dollars in commodities and commodity trading and financial instruments? Well, frankly, it's the latter. It certainly isn't for the people. So in order for Mr. Musk to do this, the technology has to be understood, but more importantly, the strategic approach. In other words, how do you do this in a way so you, number one, see, live to see another day? has been one of my problems over the years, but I, we figured that out in the 90s. And then the second is, uh, can you do this in a way so that the first order of disclosure of these technologies is an open source system. The second phase would be specific horizontal and vertical applications. Uh, so that's really a strategy that is unconventional in the tech world because it's all about the secrecy and what your own patents are and all this sort of thing. But that isn't going to work on something of, of enormous abuse of power of the national security state. Uh, you, you cannot do it the conventional way. So I think that, that uh, Mr. Musk and others like him need to understand that you're in a, a, you're, you've got, you're in a different environment when you start wanting to have true breakthroughs in science and technology and not just tinkering around the edges of a, a lithium battery running a car. Mm. Uh, by the way, a true Tesla car would never have to be plugged in because contrary to what people think, Tesla actually had such a thing, and J.P. Morgan turned to Tesla and said, if we can't put a meter on it, we're not going to allow it to come out. And it's not an urban myth that Tesla died, a very bitter man, and that his uh, papers were taken by the government. I have a document from the Department of Defense of the United States demanding that the FBI that had raided Nikola Tesla's home at the time of his death, turn over to them the secret papers that Tesla had. Mm. This is an uncontested top secret document from the Department of Defense of the United States to the FBI because they were in a turf battle over this. Mm. So, you know, again, I don't deal in, you know, internet gossip. I deal with things that I have a provenance for documents and people who are on the inside who provide information. And uh, so knowing that, you think about that, how long ago Nikola Tesla, who, you know, it's interesting, a reporter once asked Einstein, what's it like being a genius? And he replied, I don't know, ask Nikola Tesla. Well, I yeah. think Tesla and his work was, was absolutely, brilliant. absolutely yeah. extraordinary. 
Um, yes. What what um, uh, Vivian Kubrick, who of course is 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 the young lady that introduced us, and is Stanley yes. Kubrick's uh, daughter. Stanley, of course, made two thousand and one A Space Odyssey, uh, right. and was steeped. His life was steeped in exploring the unknown. Um, she wanted me to ask you about nine eleven, and is there some sort of a relationship to ET activity? during 9-11, is that something that you could speak about at all? Or is that work that you're, uh, that was her question. I can't, it's painful, but let me do sort of a quick trip through the last 20 years. Um, after I had started providing briefings for people in government and Congress and your government, and I concluded that they either were afraid to take action on it uh, or had been waved off or had been had a counterintelligence uh, officer disinform them. Uh, I sort of said, well, you know what? We need to do it. So in, on May 9th, 2001, we did the National Press Club here in Washington event where we had 22 top secret people right. in front of the world's cameras. You can get on my website. Uh, my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Dr. Stephen Greer 55. Post it. DR. Comments. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so that event eventually was seen by around 800 million people around the world, but it was then taken down very quickly. Um, at the time, we had hundreds of thousands of people writing through their members of Congress wanting open hearings on this issue. Because we weren't dealing with people, you know, who were, you know, saw a light in the sky. We were dealing with people who had top secret clearances. We had their DD-214s, their discharge papers from the military. And we had their testimony on videotape and in front of the world's cameras. Um, a member of my team uh, that I mentioned earlier, who was the senior scientist at the Naval Research Labs, routinely did executive level briefings and he had been in the offices of the vice president uh, Cheney and saw the plans for 9-11 before it happened and he was very directly told never to speak of it or he and his family would be erased eliminated uh, I never spoke of this publicly and you know this is a small forum but I will tell you that one of the worrisome things about this, because Andy Card, who was the chief of staff for uh, President Bush, was hand delivered the briefing document from that National Press Club event, as was every member of Congress, um, including uh, Mr. Biden, who was at the time the chairman of foreign relations of the Senate. And uh, we were appalled that when 9-11 happened, of course, the momentum we were building to disclose the subject was completely neutralized mm -hmm. uh, by people's obsession with global terrorism. And then, of course, subsequently, you know, they hoaxed the evidence that Saddam Hussein was had weapons of mass destruction. And we went into Iraq and the rest, of, as, as Trump rightly pointed out, of course, as did Bernie Sanders and others. We stumbled into that debacle, uh, having you know spending a trillion plus dollars, and God knows how many innocent lives lost, uh, based completely on uh, fake uh, intelligence. Now that was Bush's diversion. What do I mean by that? He, if you look at how 
George W. Bush reacted. It was like he'd seen a ghost. And they were able to then manipulate George W. Bush into certain actions from the deep state. We have Obama comes in and they're melting down the economy, the so-called financial crisis. Mm. They basically held a gun to Obama's head and to the leaders of Congress and said, give us trillions of dollars, mainly to benefit the banks. Meanwhile, average people with mortgages lost their homes and life savings. Or within a week, there won't be bread and milk on your grocery shelves because the whole system is collapsing. And so Obama was manipulated into certain actions. And now we have President Trump with the corona pandemic also being maneuvered. Mm -hmm. So there is a pattern here. I'm being very blunt that people need to realize is that you can through crises. You can manipulate people into a direction of action, like going into Iraq, like TARP, like a number of things that are actually very misguided uh, and that are costly to the human future. But it also sets up a great diversion. So I'm not saying that 9-11 had no involvement with terrorists. The question is, how many degrees of separation was there between some of the terrorism going on and people who were manipulating the situation that are within these unacknowledged special access projects. Mm. I'm afraid there's quite a bit. Mm. And the similarly, you have uh, the global drug trade is very much in, in financing these unacknowledged special access projects. This I know for an absolute fact. So um, in fact, a former member of Congress who was, sort of a consigliari for Papa Bush, the elder, as and uh, a man who was a senior executive with Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC, which is one of the crown jewels of covert contracting for the U.S. government, uh, met with me. Uh, it was actually the day after I briefed the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff and outlined how that group, these unacknowledged special access projects, were being funded, not only through tricks, accounting tricks in the government payroll and uh, largesse, but also through criminal activities, including uh, the drug trade. Hmm. My, my, my question was, or it was really Vivian's uh, question, really, was not whether there was terrorist interaction, but was there any alien interaction in relation to 9-11? Was there any? Oh, oh no. <laughs> No. no, but there were technologies. It looks like there were technologies used that were what people in borderland scientists would call uh, scalar or longitudinal electromagnetic systems. And I know this gets into a bit of physics here, but if you look at some of the evidence for the collapse of uh, some, uh, some of those buildings, uh, it, there appeared to be a high energy weapon involved that was more than just the planes hitting it right. and we know what these are they're, they're, they're called a longitudinal or scalar weapon they're not et but they are uh very advanced electromagnetic systems that uh do travel at multiples of the speed of light because a normal wave of light if you look at light it's a wave and a laser is coherent light where the same wavelength is synced up coherently a scalar is like a point that goes out in a line longitudinally and bypasses the wave function 
and is at multiples of the speed of light. And those have very important communication and other values, but they can and have been, unfortunately, weaponized. Right, right. I think that's what she was referring to when I when I spoke. Yeah. Um, but, the, but it had to do with ETs. It had to do with classified, uh, unacknowledged projects. Right. I understand. I understand. Well, um, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, how just at the point, and I've noticed this in my life, um, mankind moves forward on a very, very positive purpose. And you, as you say, you did that briefing at the press club, which was really a breakthrough. And I commend you for the courage of gathering all those people together. Um, and then it's as if disclosure is about to happen. And it's just about to happen. And then all of a sudden, David Niven, the actor who was a friend of my father's, uh, or my grandfather's actually in New York, he would say, just when life is looking great, the, the wind blows uh, weeds over the garden wall. And all of a sudden, we're distracted with this trillion-year war. I know my wife and I were actually married mm. on uh, to September the 11th, 2001, in Kazakhstan. And we had our wedding oh ceremony. And, of course, it was a great sort of meeting between East and West. And we said, well, this is a great opportunity for two cultures mm. to understand each other. Mm. And then three hours later, we had a call from the foreign minister who mm. said, you want to just turn on the TV because... Um, you know, these buildings have gone down. Of course, the time, we were a long way ahead in Kazakhstan because it's because of the time difference. Mm. They're five hours ahead of London. So, you know, I have noticed this pattern and I wouldn't be at all surprised, at all surprised, if your if the breakthrough that you were about to make in relation to consciousness. I've got one more question before we get into the solution to all of this because mm. I think that is as important... Somebody's just asked is what is the TTSA? The TTSA. The the TTSA. Oh, well, yeah, the, to the Stars Academy. There's a rock star named Tom DeLong that I had mentored early on, who then um, got pulled into a very nasty group of counterintelligence generals and CIA operatives that I hate to say this sort of brainwashed him into this whole alien threat fantasy and they started a group uh, and they were the ones who initially allegedly leaked the Pentagon footage that you've all seen on the mainstream news media of our uh, jet fighters chasing this UFO off the coast of California and um, in fact it was never a leak it was deliberately done but if you look at the narrative behind that footage coming out it was always, it's a threat to our military, it's a threat to our airspace, it's a threat to our national sovereignty. And so the sub rosa uh, reason, the, the, the unstated reason for that leaked footage that you see all over the news is so that the narrative of an alien threat is put out there. And it's exactly what Werner von Braun who of course invented the, the, the rocket for Adolf Hitler, the, the V2 rocket that was bombing uh, your country. Um, Werner von Braun became one of the, the leaders and, and the big uh, guiding lights of our aerospace uh, community after World War II. But on his deathbed, he stated to uh, Carol Rosen, who's on my team, that in fact, um, the thing that would happen is that they will hoax 
an alien threat and it's all a lie. It's a completely a lie. Now, I think that this uh, this young man, that the rock, this rock star, Tom DeLonge, means well, but he has been completely deceived by people in the uh, intelligence community who have been feeding him uh, selective information for him to be the front person to reach a lot of younger folks with this message. And, but you know, this, you know, he can be forgiven. This happened to Ronald Reagan. Mm. You see it. If you look at my film, you'll see, we have a clip of Ronald Reagan in front of the United nations mm. talking about how our job of, of uniting the world would be so much easier if there was a common alien threat to unite against mm. and, and fight. Now, how did that happen? I know a, a colonel, he's passed away, Colonel Holman, H-O-L-M-A-N, who told me that the whole Star Wars initiative that Reagan was uh, sold, uh, the SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative, um, the way that they got him to buy into that, which was a total boondoggle for the warmongers and the contractors, was to convince him that there was an alien threat. And this colonel said, oh, yes, we tried to sell that to, to Carter. He didn't bite. Reagan did. And so President Reagan was selectively given uh, a briefing that was spun. The spinmeisters put it in the direction of this being an existential threat. So what I've seen happen, and this goes back for many decades, is that the, the, the president is very vulnerable to this kind of manipulation. But so is the average bloke, um, the, the average guy on the street is extremely vulnerable to this kind of uh, spinning of, of information in a direction to get an emotional response that the controllers want you to have. Because that's really what it's about. It's not intellectual so much, it is an emotive response. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And of course, we're witnessing the mass scale brainwashing and the manipulation of entire populations over the COVID-19, which we've spoken to on other programs. Now, His Grace the Duke of Marlborough, who, as you know, is is uh, joining us tonight from Blenheim Palace, for those of you that have just joined the feed, has just asked a very important question. And funnily enough, great minds think alike. We must be telepathically connected, Your Grace, because I was literally about to ask the exact same question. And the question is, um, Dr. Greer, do you envisage an association with our friends and my question was which i've actually made a note of as well is is in your view when might we expect to have first contact in the mainstream sense in other words when will the mainstream and 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 what and, and i think this really speaks to what i see as the most important aspect of your work um which is you know what do we do about the situation we understand this but what can ordinary people and i yes. love your idea of bypassing mm. the special projects in the deep state and just going you know what this is not their prerogative they nobody owns you nobody owns yeah. your sovereignty you can keep your two billion dollars which you said to somebody those of you that just joined us dr greer was offered two billion dollars to compromise uh his projects um when when so his grace just wanted to know and i think that's an interesting question coming as it does from the great 
great-nephew of Sir Winston Churchill, um, who is joining us. It's a good question. I think that it needs to be framed. In other words, the clarification is, when would uh, this be officially recognized? Because in reality, we now have around 100,000 people around the world doing close encounters of the fifth kind who are having direct and pretty astonishing contact right now. And one thing I want to mention, we have a new app that's out uh, called CE5 Contact. I've, I've downloaded it. It's fantastic. You can get it on you can get it on Apple. It's on the App Store, mm. and yes. it's called and on Google Play. Yeah, yeah I, you can just download it, and and we I've I've I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but it looks fantastic. But so we carry would on. like to hear more. Carry on this the project. Okay, well, what was beautiful? Like we had a man who was a truck driver in Croatia. This is a true story. He wrote in. He had he got this app, and he was learning how to connect in consciousness and remote view with consciousness where these ETs were. And then he just invited them. And he was at a, a, a sort of a pull-off on a remote road up in the mountains. And I don't know Croatia that well, but, um, or frankly at all, I've never been there. And he did this and was just relaxing and a, a ET craft materialized to the left of his truck, floated over the cab and he got this message we've received your message and then dematerialized to the right. And we have had thousands of people have this sort of experience. So our CE5 initiative, the reason we call it initiative, close encounters of the fifth kind is humans taking the initiative to say, all right, our governments seem to have completely dropped the ball on this, but why can't the free soul of every man, woman and child for that matter, understand this and do this directly? And when I first proposed this in the early 90s, I had an intelligence official say to me very angrily, who the hell do you think you are? That's, uh, and, I, uh, and he was very nasty about it. And I said, well, you know, I consider myself uh, a free uh, denizen of the earth and of the cosmos. And I'm doing this in no official capacity. And it's frankly none of your business. You don't have jurisdiction over me, and you certainly don't have jurisdiction over these other planetary systems. So I was, we had a bit of a tiff about it. Uh, I, I'm nice until I'm not nice, people will tell you, but uh, <laughs> I'm not shy. So, uh, you know, he was rather upset because what the intelligence community knew is that the Rosetta Stone of interstellar communication and contact is all folded within us. The conscious, the light of consciousness that is within us is actually the totality of the cosmos folded holographically. You know, and, and the famous physicist who founded modern quantum mechanics of particle wave theory, Erwin Schrodinger, said the total number of minds in the universe is one. It's a singularity. And so you have your individuality, I have mine. But the consciousness field through which we are all sentient and conscious is a singularity. And so you can experience that state of existence and therefore see any point in space and time. Well, these interstellar civilizations similarly have that ability, but even more developed, both innately, but also technologically, because they have communication systems 
that are transdimensional physics that are interfacing with quanta of thought. And that's why these CE5 uh, protocols work. And I tell people, you know, I was friends with a guy named Ingo Swan, who had done a lot of remote viewing for the CIA and others and Stanford Research uh, International, and uh, as well as uh, Dr. Russell Targ, who is in our movie, who for 23 years did this for the CIA. And one of the things that we all agree on is that every human being who is awake has the ability to be aware of awareness. And if they affirm to themselves that they are not limited by space or time, they can see anywhere and influence remote places as well. This is why intercessionary prayer works, because you can see someone at a distance and put intent and have an amazing outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this understanding of the cosmos is really important scientifically, but from a personal point of view, it empowers each of us to understand that, um, you know, we're just not a puny thing. You know, we're not each uh, individual in reality is a quantum hologram where the totality of the cosmos and of creation is folded perfectly within every single soul. And, you know, this is why I tell people you don't need a high priest, you know, study the book of your own self and uh, get to know, know thyself and to thine own self be true. Uh, there are some great expressions, but it's not that there aren't teachers who can't help you. It's just that everyone needs to learn that this is something you all innately have. And I think we've all been miseducated about the extraordinary capability that every ordinary person has, like this truck driver in Croatia. You know, he wasn't a CIA remote viewer. He wasn't a, a scientist with a Ph.D. Who cares? Uh, you know, I, I think this is this is the ultimate affirmation of, of what the human spirit is capable of. And in this case, we're using it uh, to communicate with these civilizations. But also one of the things we, we mentioned in, in the, this documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, is this extraordinary 1% effect. Yes. Which has been... That's what I... That, I, that, 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 I, that, that mm. is... I'd like you to expand on that because it came at the very yes. end of the film. And yes. we have a saying here at Camelot, is a little bit of truth can go a very long way. Mm. And yep. a, a tiny truth can, can bust a whole pyramid of lies, you know. So, you yep. know, it, this, is, I, this is something I want you to, to really uh, get yes. into. Yes. And His Grace, you didn't see the comments he put up. He said, thank you very much, Dr. Greer. He says, you have a lovely smile. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very powerful, powerful, powerful information. Uh, I mean, you, you may well be, we collect iconoclasts here at uh, Camelot Castle. You may be one of the greatest iconoclasts mm, of mm, all time, mm, Dr. Greer, because mm. you are literally smashing the status quo, um, but in a very positive way, not in a, 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 in a destructive very way. Helpful and hopeful. In a very helpful and hopeful way. And I think your message of hope mm. for the planet is just priceless priceless this is a priceless now i'm going to ask everybody on here there's thousands of people on here now i'm afraid i haven't been able to get to all of your questions please share this broadcast create watch parties what you are about to hear because i know what dr greer is about to get into is truly the essence mm. of life and right. we we are hearing here 
I, I don't know what you call it in your thing, but it's the equivalent of a Jedi Master. So um, please do, please do. Um, you guys all want solutions. So. Yeah, this is, we, 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 we understand the problem. I don't think one can quite get a measure of the depth of the evil of what it would take to actually just take suppressing zero-point energy information, the ability to create energy at zero cost to civilization. Just to suppress right. that, that's grossly, that's a crime against humanity. But what you're talking about here is the solution, and that's what we want to hear. Well, one of the beautiful things about the reality of being human, but also of being conscious and extraterrestrial, is that by virtue of the fact that we are awake, conscious beings, that if we understand our true nature of what that means, it means that we are never separate. We are connected to all things in all places. And as Ben Rich, the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, said, it, said uh, to, to a friend of mine who's a nuclear engineer, uh, every point in space and time is connected to every other through this conscious field, which is why so-called ESP and remote viewing and precognition work. Once we understand that this is not the the the, the, the sort of the provenance of only sainted beings or uh, Ingo Swan or somebody uh, that, that we sort of put up on a pedestal, but that this is the birthright of every single person, which is really beautiful. Um, then we re begin to realize that uh, when enough people come together with a clear intent, but connecting to that greater conscious field that is infinite and eternal, what happens is that a relatively small number of people can transform the entire milieu, the whole system. And a great uh, sort of example of that, sort of a corollary, is to be found in quantum physics. And we use this analogy in, in the movie where if you take a, a container of helium, you know, just regular helium, you know, cool it down to absolute zero. What happens is that as you as it gets more and more cold, you get a small number of helium atoms or molecules begin to become coherently aligned. When one percent of those helium molecules become coherent, instantly the entire container becomes what's called superfluid. It takes on almost magical properties of coherence and it happens very quickly, but not at 51 or 99% at 1%. Now the corollary to that, they did studies with people doing meditation and consciousness practices and they'd send 1%, uh, say your town has uh, 200,000 people. They put 2,000 people in there practicing mindfulness or meditation, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And they would find that crime rates would go down. Emergency room visits would go down. Guess I'd be out of business maybe, um, et cetera and so on. And that the people in the town didn't even know those folks were in there. That's but if that around 1% of people incoherent with intention would then shift the entirety of that community. So now imagine if on earth there's seven and a half billion people, 1% would be 75 million people engaged in that kind of field coherence 
and intention. The entirety of our planet would then shift in consciousness away from destruction and what I call this terminal velocity that we're on into a civilization that would become highly ordered, spiritual, very advanced technologically. And this isn't a pipe dream. This is based in solid science. The problem is people think that they don't have that ability. They don't think that they have the ability to even part, do be part of that, what's called in physics, you can look this up, a phase transition, a transformative phase transition. But we do. And even, you know, your, your five-year-old son can learn to do sort of a, a, a mindfulness with this. And uh, before I was a medical doctor, you know, I think, you know, I died. I had a near-death experience. And even though I was raised a very devout atheist, I learned very quickly that, in fact, the cosmos is one vast, conscious, beautiful being. But that same being is actually folded completely and indivisibly within each of us. So what that means is that we can reach to that state in, a, in, in, in whatever practice that has worked for you. I'm not chauvinistic about that. But if we align together with an intent, then we can transform the whole system. Uh, and that's why we're trying to say, if we can get 1% of the public to understand this subject fairly deeply, then do a practice that creates this coherent field of consciousness and it empowers it and we do it globally, the whole planet can transform. I mean, in the United Kingdom, you would only need, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, 1% of your population. But it's about 70 million. Yeah. So what about 600,000 or whatever? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a thousand people on the feed tonight, at least, and many more thousand will see this. Um, we would love to help you in achieving that goal. And um, we would love to invite you here to Camelot Castle. When we built Camelot, we created in the garden uh, some concentric circles and we called them the ripples of peace and they would make a fantastic. Yes. I've always half joked that it's a UFO landing pad because it looks like that from from mm -hmm. space. But maybe that is, in fact, what we built it for. And... Um, uh, His Grace did have one other question, which um, is about the interaction of of, of alien races with the ancient, planet, ancient, ancient races, guess... such as such as um, you know, one reads about things in early Syria um, and how alien races have perhaps shaped the world going back earlier than 1950. Oh yes, well, there, I, in my estimation, from studying this. Uh, whether you look at the the, the, the the etchings on caves in France that go back 5,000 years or in India that they recently discovered, um, there have been interactions between uh, humans and these other civilizations that go back to before recorded history. One of the questions that's always arisen is to what extent life on Earth and even humans have been augmented or assisted or in perhaps even cosmically seeded by advanced civilizations. I think the chances of that are quite high. Um, the genome, if you look at uh, a study that came out a few years ago, if you were to take by just normal evolutionary mutations and 
Darwinian science, the genetic diversity on this planet would have taken, the computational scientists have figured, four and a half billion years. But there's only been life on the planet for around 700 million. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of potentiating effect. But remember, one of the things that everyone thinks about, forgets, is that we have a paradigm where the physical uh, body and the physical three-dimensional material existence is preeminent. I would argue it's upside down. What is preeminent is this unbounded consciousness field and these other dimensions of energy that then manifest the 3D material. And therefore, primacy isn't with the reductionist material cosmos. Primacy is in this field of unbounded consciousness and its agency of how it comes from the field of unbounded absolute pure consciousness in through other dimensions into 3D. And this can explain how things can happen very rapidly in a nonlinear way, uh, what's known as non-locality in physics. And in fact, I think that explains also this 1% effect because the effect of, of a certain critical number of people doing something isn't just a linear effect. It goes through this field of consciousness and has a magnifying effect that is a hundred times what you would predict. That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, we're joined tonight on the broadcast by a young lady uh, who, apart from being one of London's great society beauties, is Letitia Cash. She is the daughter of Sir Bill Cash, who uh, is one of the oldest, well, he's one of the longest serving um, members of parliament and backbencher in the UK. And he was one of the founders of the sovereignty or the Brexit movement, which I'm sure you've heard about uh, the whole Brexit debate that we've been talking about prior to the coronavirus, which, of course, um, now everybody's talking about. Now, Letitia, uh, who is quite sentient in her own right because she's a great student of Eastern philosophy, um, she says, can you ask Dr. Greer if he feels his own life is being protected given the controversial level of this disclosure? If so, who is protecting his life and his message to humanity? In other words, this you're taking one hell of a risk giving us yeah. this information tonight, um, bearing in mind who you are up against and what are you up against. Are you protected? Is, there, is it safe for you or, you know, is there actually a risk? And, and if there is, what can we do to help you? Well, yes, there's enormous risk. And before I figured out, frankly, what the heck I was doing, <laughs> you know, as you know, we had, I had three people on my team assassinated and I was almost killed in 1996, seven. Uh, have, a, have a horrible scar on my left shoulder from that incident. But I don't worry about that now. Um, you know, I think we're all protected on some level. Uh, and, you know, it's to say there's no risk to what one's doing. I go, well, so what? Um, you know, that you have a risk riding down the freeway, too, don't you? So my view of it is that uh, I, I think that it isn't that I'm reckless. 
is that when I was 17 and I had this, I got very sick and I had a near death experience. Oh, yes. and that's when I had this experience of sort of a cosmic consciousness experience. When I passed on, um, of course I came back obviously, but it informed me that there was no reason to be afraid of anything, which is why when these fascists have threatened me, it doesn't, it's concerning, but I'm not afraid. I think it's more concerning for my wife and four daughters. And, you know, I have, I'm expecting my 10th grandchild <laughs> in October. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think that for myself, I think that there are levels of protection. So, you know, there, there's a spiritual level of protection. There is an interstellar level and it's been demonstrated very specifically when there's been a serious threat. Uh, and that scares the hell out of the intelligence community. I won't go into it any further than that. Um, and then there's the level of a tactical. Uh, there are people who are involved in the intelligence community who after a number of people on my team had bad outcomes uh, and, and died, uh, asked me if we wanted this level of protection. Uh, I had resisted it for about six years because I didn't want to get involved in that kind of nastiness. And I said, yes, make it so, because my, you know, you'll see the end of the film is <clears throat> hard for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, look at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Um, thank you for, I, I, I do, I do understand. Dr. Yeah. Green. Well, you know, Sherry Adamack was a good friend of mine and she she's the film is dedicated to her. And it happened. Uh, former CIA director Bill Colby was going to hand off uh, about 50 million dollars in some seed funding and one of these technologies so we could get it out uh, back in, in the mid late 90s. And um, he was found floating down the Potomac. They made it look like an accident. It's, Family thinks he committed suicide. He didn't. His best friend came to my best friend's funeral and said, look, we we can't look back. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, I really, truly understand. It's not, it's, you know, freedom fighting is a fight. And, uh, you know, there's a price for everything, right? Yeah, there is a price. Uh, you know, so, so to answer your, your friend's question, um, it's not without risk, but so what? Uh, you know, if not now, when? If not us, who? And uh, I always point out that, uh, you know, uh, my, my, my father was hand-to-hand combat <clears throat> in the Pacific in World War II, and I suppose if everybody was as as um, cowardly as we are now in our comfortable existences, we'd all be goose stepping to Adolf Hitler's great grandson or somebody. So, you know, I, I point out to people there, you know, there's nothing wrong with being concerned, but never let fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear, fear kills your spirit. So it's better to anything that where you start to feel afraid is to connect to, to the source of all life and 
as Arjuna, if, if your friend is interested in the Vedas, mm. uh, as Arjuna said to Krishna on the battlefield, a little of this with a capital T, meaning this state of unbounded conscious mind eliminates all fear. So in my own practice, I find that if I practice mindfulness and meditation, that even when I become uh, uh, a little start to get unglued a bit, um, I find great solace in that. So that's what I recommend. Dr. Gray, you've received so many messages of support here and blessings and prayers and, and from, from so many people here, I'm sure. You can look at them later. It's very tough. There's a lot of people praying for you. There's a lot of people praying for you. And and if you would allow us, uh, we would hold you in our mind and 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 great. Thank you. You know, yeah. bring you strength. Um, there is one thing. Uh, I've got two more points. You've been so giving of your time. There's two more points. Oh, happy to be here. Um, it's it's such a pleasure and it's such an honor to consider you part of the Camelot family. I mean, of course, this group is a very special group. We've come together and we've been doing these broadcasts every night since the beginning of the lockdown. And we tried a few in 2015 and then we just sort of decided to take it a bit more seriously because I don't think if, if we don't push for full disclosure now and each and every one of us on here, you know, just with the 1,200 or so people that are online now, and please do share this broadcast, but if just us, I mean, on the line now, we've got His Grace the Duke of Marlborough, who is Sir Winston Churchill's great-great-nephew. Dialing in from Blenheim, he's on the line. We've got Letitia Cash, whose father, this is a bloodline that goes back centuries. We have all sorts of other people on the line here. In your own way, you are all great sovereign spirits. Exactly. And what you've heard yes. tonight, okay, Study Dr. Greer's material and share this like you've never shared anything, because I think that if what you're saying is true, and I have every reason to believe it is, other than the fact that I've yet to try the protocol myself and or witness it or see well, it. Well, let's do it at the castle sometime. It'd be great to do it at the castle. Well, we, well, we, 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 we would, would love, love to. We would love you. Bring your team and we can do it in the ripples of peace. And who knows, that's maybe why we, you know, th thought has a funny way of manifesting things into the future. And yes. who knows why it is that Vivian and I put us in touch. It's the most bizarre, you know, there are no coincidences. Uh, there, there, there are no coincidences at the moment. And with what's yes. going on in the world, frankly, we are all conspiracy theorists, including Ivanka Trump, who just said she's she's just taken the red pill. So... Um, there's one little thing I, I did say to you I was going to ask you to do. If you could, and I'm going to just say this separately, Dr. Greer, if you could deliver a message to the 45th President of the United States, what would that message be at this time? My message to him would be to be uh, very careful around the people who would advise him on some of these issues to remain skeptical and to seek out very good counsel, which I'm very happy to provide through intermediates, uh, however, what arms distance would need to happen, but that he needs to take a keen interest, sharp interest 
in this subject about unacknowledged special access projects and the degree to which they have corrupted uh, our country and with it the rest of the world, but that in order to resolve the issue, he needs a, uh, a very good Sherpa a guide through that wilderness and that uh, the people who would normally be moved into the, the level of presidential briefings, unfortunately, they either do not know about this subject or if they have been read into it, they are people who have been assigned to misguide the president and not just this president. This is not to say anything about Trump per se. It's every president since Eisenhower. So he's in very good company. Um, and what I would recommend is that he look into this issue very carefully and move towards a direction of an executive order to get control of these projects and to see that there is a careful disclosure of the subject and at the same time a release of the technologies that could give us a sustainable civilization uh, of great prosperity. It isn't going to happen with the zero-sum game of the current system. The other part of it would be to be very careful about what is happening with space because there are people who are advising him regarding assets being placed in space and some of the satellites that are being put up there have unacknowledged special access project systems on them that track and target interstellar vehicles and are very dangerous. And these are not being disclosed to the people who are making the decision uh, at the presidential level. These are highly classified systems. And so there's a whole group of technologies that are being deployed in a way that is covertly placed on satellites in space uh, as early as 1974. We have a man on my team who is an electronics genius who had invented what's called a neutrino light detector. And it would pick up ET vehicles as they step down out of trans-dimensional space-time into 3D and then hit them with an uh, electronic weapon system. So we need to be very careful about this. The chief executive, the president, uh, as well as other world leaders need to be able to monitor this to be sure that we are not tricked into a uh, very dangerous situation. The other is that he needs to have his heads, a heads up about the fact that this same deep state unacknowledged special access project is planning something 10 times worse than the coronavirus. And it will involve the hoaxing using man-made assets of an alien attack. Um, that would be orders of magnitude worse than 9-11. I've seen the plans for this. I have people on my team who work that system uh, and that it is fully operational. All they need to do is hit a button. So the president and his national security team, unfortunately, are very vulnerable to a surprise like this. And the only knowledge, as they say, is the greatest purifier. Having knowledge of this would neutralize that threat and that the president needs to be fully informed, honestly about these issues. Well, we will do what we can to ensure that that message reaches the 45th president. And I just want to say that um, uh, this has been the most 
extraordinary, extraordinary interchange of ideas. Uh, we would very much like to uh, invite you and your family to Camelot Castle. Um, but I do have something else that I would like to say to you, and I'm sure my wife, Irina, would join me in this, is that, you know, being an iconoclast and being a freedom fighter and standing up mm. for the truth mm. is a hell of a journey, and it's one that you are wearing very well, I would say. You don't look too battles <laughs> to me, and you have a sense of humor, and they haven't beaten you down yet. Um... But you know what? We just wanted to fully acknowledge mm. what you have done. And I'm sure I speak for all the people that have tuned in and that have shared and that will share this broadcast. Thank you so much for what you have done for humanity. You are My a pleasure. great freedom fighter because it's one thing working in an obvious area that lots of people can understand. But Irina and I understand what it's like to work in a slightly esoteric area of life, an area that perhaps not everybody can immediately grasp. But what you've done to bring this subject, I mean, anybody who watches your three films on the internet, which they can find at your website, can gain an, an easy stepping stone, step-by-step -step gradient. This is something that is understandable by anybody. Mm. So what I would simply like to say is thank you so much from all those people out there that I'm sure you have touched their lives. And I'm sure that if they knew what you had done and if they did understand it, would be thanking you and they would be on their knees and you would have rose petals sprinkled mm. with every step that you walk, Dr. Greer. But you seriously have that. done... I'd be happy just to have some, some help. <laughs> well... And, and, and perhaps um, this would be a good moment, but let me just finish, is um, on behalf of all those people that would like to say thank you, we would like to say thank mm. you very much mm. on their behalf and um, just to acknowledge you for what you've done. Um, so that's my first point. The second thing is what help do you need? <laughs> a lot. Well, we need networking help. Um, we need people getting the word out. As you know, we are a um, an unfunded volunteer group. My wife and I do this out of a corner of our living room. We have no office or staff. Um, so it's a labor of love, I guess uh, you'd say. So we, you know, everything that's happened that we've done has been through people helping and supporting the project. Um, like I said, this documentary has been crowdfunded. You can still, you can see we're still, trying to ask people to help support it so that we can get the word out because contrary to what people think the film distributor that's helping that's distributed the film puts zero funds into uh getting the word out about it that's 100 percent has to come from us distribution. they don't have any marketing budget for distribution well we, it's all provided by us so that's why we're still crowdfunding that at ce5film.com so, but also just networking, you know, notwithstanding, you know, you funds are one thing, but just get, you know, people sharing heart to heart, mind to mind. That's how things really happen, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, although it wouldn't hurt to have some funding resources either. Um, but, you know, look, I gave up my medical career to do this. And so this, it's never about money and finances for me. I, I guess I would have done better if I'd been 
more savvy that way, but I'm not. This is not my ballywick. I'm a scientist. And, but I think that the, the public can do a great deal by also, if you get this app, the CE5 contact app, it literally takes you through a whole project uh, and, and, and training program in consciousness and remote viewing and contact and all the practical things you need to do to set up. And it's, it's easy for anyone to do. And the more people do that and get the word out and start doing it with their neighbors. The other thing about the app that's really wonderful, and this is how you can really help, is it has a networking function. So you can actually click on a section of the app and it'll show you who in your area around your part of England is doing this. And therefore, even while we're under relative house arrest or whatever you call this, lockdown, you can connect with people who are doing this at the same time. And we have people doing this all over the world. So uh, it's a great way to network with each other and create this uh, transformative 1% effect uh, through connecting with other people uh, through the app who are also being uh, aware of the technique of uh, close encounters of the fifth kind. So that's another important uh Thing that anyone can do and then people who have contacts in society with people who are in roles of leadership uh, I, I would offer that you know to get educated on this issue to the extent you can and if there's somebody who, who you feel needs to contact me you have my number and, and email and you can put them in touch with me wow. um, because ultimately uh, I will tell you that of all the different world leaders and people I've met with over the years, all those have happened just by networking each with each other. So that's important. That networking function is really important as well. Well, that is fantastic. And I have a message here from you. I've just put it on the screen. Uh, His Grace the Duke of Marlborough says, uh, thank you, Dr. Greer. This really has been for me quite special to say the least. God bless you. And then he ha- carries on to say, uh, John will give you my details. Please come and stay at Blenheim Palace anytime. Thank you again. So uh, you've been invited to, to stay at Blenheim Palace with His Grace the Duke of Marlborough. Very honoured. Thank you very much. Um, there are a few people with a more interesting and uh, influential address book in the UK and his friends. He has fantastic friends who I'm sure a number of them are also on here tonight. Um, and that's that's a fantastic network. But there's a number of other people are offering here to um, uh, connect you uh, up. Many, many messages fantastic of support. Comments. Fantastic messages of support. Uh, Selwyn Diverstein, who I'll put you in touch with in Holland, says, let's do a fundraiser. And he's a financial uh, whiz kid, Genius, so yeah. he's, he's he's clever. He knows how to get money. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, that's he's got enough. Because I'm a um, idiot. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. He's he's a Dutch, you know. Dutch always clever with money. They managed to make money out of tulip bulbs. Mm. So um, you know, uh, he said. Quite right. Selwyn says this was an amazing interview, uh, John and Arena. Well, not thanks to us. Thanks to. Uh, Dr. Greer. Greer. Well, um, you you know, we could go, you you know, you have actually, it actually does feel timeless. I 
haven't even noticed the passage of time, but such is when one mind mm. melds in these ways, time does disappear. Maybe I could... Well, I hope I haven't gone on too long and bored, folks, but uh, oh, we can perhaps enough. do this again another time, and I, we, we've scratched the surface at least, mm. and uh, perhaps we can do do it again. Well, we'd love to, and our audience has gotten to know you, and I'll give you the feedback. You just had one other little just, thing. Just few people asked before, you know, you mentioned you, you sort of gave us an overview on the ETs, and what we would really like, if you could just repeat one more time what is what are their intentions towards us and our planet in your experience and in your opinion well their intentions are number one to understand where we are now and uh, to assist behind the scenes what they're really waiting for frankly is for us to do an outreach to them but as a peaceful civilization that is ready to go into space together. And until such time, uh, they're observing the state of the world and they're making contact with people who events a type of consciousness was ready for that contact. Uh, many people think that somehow they're going to swoop in and land on the White House lawn or something. That's not how these civilizations have ever done this. Um, they're really the ball is in our court, but what they're wanting from us is peace and cooperation in space. They're wanting us to become uh, partners in the long run uh, over the next few hundred thousand years of human evolution as an interstellar civilization. But to do that, we have to make it through this turbulent period and transition to a coherent, peaceful civilization that is not only based in a political and material peace, but in a, a spiritual awareness and understanding of the cosmos commensurate with becoming a, a cosmic civilization. So that's what they're wanting from us. So each person has that responsibility both within themselves and within their own social network to achieve that. And I think the C5 app will go a long way for people to understand exactly how to do that. Yes. That's why we made it. Good. And by the way, a shout out to, we have a man who donated the funds to develop that app. It's got a few bugs in it, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. And we're trying to continue to, to improve it, but, um, uh, he doesn't want to be named, mm. but he knows who he is. I think he's probably watching. His Grace just said from Blenheim, he said uh, that our friends would like us to behave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the minimum entry, to, uh, the, the, the price of admission to be going, becoming a, uh, a, a true denizen of the universe is that we are at a level one civilization that's peaceful, isn't destroying our own environment, and isn't going into space with weapons and or killing each other on this planet. So uh, a lot of people think that's an impossible task. I think it's not impossible at all. I think it's the, the essential task and it will come to pass because the only other future is one of extinction. And I do not believe that we will be extinct. I think we will evolve into a peaceful civilization and an interstellar civilization in the course of time. Well, I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm 
This is a new group for you, but I'm very familiar with some of the names that I'm seeing come up on the screen here. We have some of the greatest uh, sovereign beings alive today on earth, and some of them are extremely mindful. And I think when, you know, what you've done is you've provided the knowledge, um, but people have to use that knowledge. Mm. You know, knowledge that is not applied and just sits in a library and gathers dust on the bookshelf uh, is mm -hmm. absolutely a, a waste of uh, the time of the person right. who discovered the knowledge. Mm. Uh, right. And I think that you are doing that. I also think that by us doing this, people said to me, because we've mainly been doing broadcasts on the subject of the virus and so on and so forth, and we've more or less fully confronted all of the elements with regard to that and what's going on. Well, you on. wouldn't want to get me started on that because it would be... No, 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 we're not. No, don't worry. That'll be another Maybe for us. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. I'm not going to get you onto that. What I'm going to say is this is actually related to that because if you push this purpose forward of full disclosure, mm. if you pull, push this forward, this is such a higher purpose that this other stuff will actually, funnily enough, magically resolve. Oh, it will. Absolutely. It will Completely. resolve. So um, His Grace has just said man was created to travel. And uh, I completely agree with that. You see, if we push the higher purpose, if we push the higher line, and I think what you've done is you're holding a guidance or a mm. flag mm. for civilization. And um, what can I say? I, I mean, we, we could have you here all night. But would you please come back? Will you come back? Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, it's a delight uh, speaking with you. And uh, I hope this has been hope helpful to folks uh, and not too, uh, too much information. I'm often accused of uh, making people drink from a fire hose and it's a bit too much. But oh. um, <laughs> hopefully I think your, your audience is probably um, intelligent and educated uh, to the point that it, uh, it wasn't too much. I'm, I'm always worried that it may be too much information, especially about the physics of non-locality and consciousness. But I think that we're, we really need to understand I, what every kindergarten child in 1960 should have known. Mm. Everything we're talking about should have been known uh, when I was five years old, the age of your child. And I think that um, we, we need to be mindful of, of the fact that we can't afford to lose another generation of enlightened beings on this planet. We need to quicken it. This is the time of the great quickening. Well, we have to. We have a very interesting little formula called the affluence formula, which is a way of when things suddenly start going better. It's a way of strengthening the affluence, and I'll share that with you later. But it is, you know, we. I feel that your work is absolutely key to breaking out of the current paradigm and restoring. Man's love for himself. I think man has been denied this. I think we all feel, you know, you told me in, in the pre-interview when we were just getting that you, you, your friends used to call you Morpheus mm. after the, 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 the Matrix film. And of course, you have red-pilled red us all. Yes. You've red-pilled us all tonight. Yeah, the original. Um, so you are probably, probably you are the, 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 original, original. the original Morpheus. Um, but um, it, it is interesting um where i think you can lead i think you not that you're interested in being some sort of a leader or anything but i think 
your knowledge and your purpose uh, alone that you can instill, you know, let's focus on the stars. Mm -hmm. There's so much more of this universe to explore than fiddling around on this little mud ball um, that, frankly, it's a very beautiful planet. Don't get me wrong. I'm very fond of Earth, very, very fond of Earth. But I wonder what the fishing's like on some of these other planets. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've fished most of the rivers here, and uh, I keep asking uh, anybody who, who, who runs into me, I'm going to ask them if they've heard of any decent fishing on some of these other mm -hmm. planets. I've heard there is some great uh, fishing on some of these other realms, but uh, you'll, we'll, we'll have to do there it are, all the time. Let me tell you, there. You know, and remember, if you look, go out and look at the stars, every stable star system has planets around it and some form of intelligent creatures. So when you look at the star, when you look at the sky, everyone thinks that we're isolated out here alone on this island. But and we are far away at the speed of light. But at the speed of consciousness and thought, there's no distance and there's no time. So once you understand that, you understand what a beautiful cosmic existence we live in and that the Earth is one of the great, um, beautiful uh, jewels in the diadem of the creation. And it is, in fact, beloved by civilizations uh, very far away because it is such a she's just a, a beautiful being. And uh, the Earth is is a sacred and beautiful uh, place of life. And I think the intention is that the Earth would, is to be the place of the evolution of enlightened, conscious, intelligent life for hundreds of thousands of years going into the future. And I'm, I, I, I've had a number of experiences where I've gone into the future uh, a, a thousand years and then a few thousand years and then a few hundred thousand years. And I've seen glimpses of, of that and it's beautiful. And, and I'm quite convinced that, that the time we're in now is the transition between an old era that's folding and another era that's unfolding. And we're sort of caught in the eddies of the, the cross currents of the, uh, the old state of things dying and the new one being the birth pangs of the new. And so I think we have to keep our minds and our consciousness uh, fixed on the far horizon while we're aware of our immediate environment, but to have our vision fixed on the far horizon and know that a future where we have no poverty, where we have extraordinary technologies being used peacefully, where the earth is a peaceful civilization that is then welcomed into space peacefully, that is what is coming. And it isn't far off at all. It's well within our lifetimes, if we intend it to be so. But that's up. This is where the mystery of free will comes in, that we have to uh, intend that and give ourselves to it. Mm. It doesn't happen by just by itself. No, we're all participants in creating that good future. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful. Well, and Dr. Gray, please read some of the comments if you have time, because our audience, they absolutely loved you. And you have oh. not confused anyone. In fact, they want to know more. Okay. And they have so many questions and they want you to come back next week. 
As soon as next week, well, there's a demand. A I mean, we'd <laughs> have to look at the schedule and see. Well, 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 well you know, Dr. Gurr is one of well, again, the most cool. Thank, thank you all again. I hope someday to, to see you and His Grace in England. And I used to come every year to England. And I haven't been in a few years, so it's maybe time to come back and yes. visit our friends across the pond. Well, you have an invitation to Blenheim Palace and you have an invitation to Camelot. And... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's see if we can, you know, do what we can to help. There's a number of people on here that would like to help you network. Somebody's asked to help with a they fundraiser. All want you to come back. They, they all want you to come back. So, um, and the audience, we just held the audience throughout this whole. Yeah, two we didn't and get any drop off. In fact, no. it's still going up. So, um, very, very interesting indeed. So, wonderful. Dr. Greer, it's been fabulous. And I think probably we will say goodnight. Um, Thank you so much, okay. indeed. Thank you very and much. Thank you for bringing hope. Thank you. God, God bless, and I appreciate your help. Appreciate it. Good bless. Thank you for the hope. For You're in our prayers. Thank you Bye. so much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, Dr. Bye. Bria. That was extraordinary, really. Well, I don't know. What did you make of all that, darling? I mean, that was really, really special. Special man. So special. Um, you can you can just perceive that he is definitely connected to higher awareness and higher mm. consciousness and um so full of hope do watch uh, his latest documentary close encounters of the fifth kind and it is it is a very hopeful explanation of how we can move forward yeah i mean we watched it last night didn't mm. we mm. you can get it on um uh Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. And you can get it. Uh, and do please share this broadcast. Um, and we do, yes, we can all do fundraisers here. See, this is what the conversation is about. Now. Yeah, I mean, People... I think it would be nice to help him because he's a, he's a good man and he's been up against it. And of course, we're going to do our best. You know, the way that we work at Camelot Castle here, just so you know, is this is a this is a gathering location, you know, we sit here on the St. Michael line, which runs from Glastonbury uh, through Stonehenge, down through Glastonbury, comes straight through the middle of this sofa. So right now we are essentially sitting on the St. Michael line, which is a line, it's a truth-bearing line. Mm. It's and very special. It's we, very special. And people come people here to Camelot. People come here from all over the world. They come here from all over the world. For this purpose. For the purpose of, of, of finding their truth. And, you know... Everybody is really welcome here. So with that, I would like to thank um, our uh, team uh, who have been really very, very helpful indeed. Uh, thank you so much for all that you have done. Mark, could you put Dr. Greer's website on, please? I think it's drgreer.com, but have a look and put it on. And maybe he does even have a donate function there. We should have checked it, but um, do put his website up. I'm sure he does. And download his app and um, and watch his films. Watch his films. And with that, I think we will leave you with the closing sequence. And I think the words on the closing sequence of the Camelot Castle TV, tomorrow night before we go, we have a great freedom fighter from Los Angeles, who's going to be on at a slightly earlier time mm. of 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. uh, slightly earlier time. We're going to have 
uh, Kerry Kasem on, who is the daughter of Casey Kasem, who was the great radio star. And she is a great uh, fighter for free speech. So we're going to hear what she's got to say about free speech. Very important. Um, the other person who is coming on next week on Thursday night is the very gracious Katie Hopkins, who uh, actually has been aware of Camelot Castle TV for many, many uh, years. And she's going to be joining us, Katie Hopkins. So if you have any questions for Katie. Um, also, for those of you that would like to visit Camelot Castle, we have... Well, we've got the Camelot Castle shop there, which is the one thing. And we've got the Camelot Castle voucher, which you can get. And, of course, the shop and Camelot Castle have been sponsoring this evening's activities. So if you would like to get a Camelot Castle voucher, it's an incredible deal. And you can use that after you are free to use that. So, And, um, yes, this, this broadcast will be available on Facebook to watch straight away. And uh, we will have it on YouTube. We'll have it on Facebook. We'll have it on YouTube. Uh, you can visit the Camelot Castle shop uh, if you want souvenirs of the broadcast, and you can have you can uh, get your Camelot Castle voucher, and um, all these things help generally in the direction of what we're trying to do, and that's all very positive. Now, um, I will leave you with the um, what do we call it? Closing Fine. sequence. Closing sequence is what we call and it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed in. it. Isn't Dr. Greer a special man? Please do share this broadcast and create a watch party for your friends. You know, that's quite a fun thing to do after you've done this. <laughs> you can actually create a watch party and then you can join your own watch party and you can you can answer all the comments and the questions and do what Arena's been doing, you see. And you're right, Chris Ram about Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins, she yes. is this is Katie. Is this is going to be, by the way, Katie Hopkins uncensored? He says the last is a firecracker. No uncensored. This is Katie Hopkins, no hold barred, no holds barred. So there we go.